0: All right, we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Bounce Meal Podcast series. Tonight's episode is another segment in We Were in a Cult. I have a special guest, Aaron, here, uh, who's a member of the ICOC. And just like we do here, we're going to talk about our lives in church, out of church, and all of that. What's up, Aaron? Hi. So, um, those of you, this is a very important one episode because this is Aaron is one of the uh owners of one of the meme pages mm-hmm. on Instagram. And surprise, uh
1: surprise.
0: I know it's the did you have your qt which mm-hmm. by the way is <laughs> there's two reasons why I loved this one. It's because you put did you have your qt and that's so hyper specific for our our church. and that your profile pic is Chuck Norris and so I've always thought that was the best so
2: (laughs) right like it didn't really make any sense at all but
0: it doesn't um yeah thank you for coming on thank you for being a part of this you're the only meme page that reached out to me wanting to come on and share this so yeah
2: Yeah, I'm excited to be here, and I'm really excited to reveal who is behind, did you have your quiet time? Did you have your QT?
0: I know. It's great. Um, What started the meme page? What made you want to do it?
2: This was really just like a humor therapy session Mm -hmm. for myself. So it actually started through Gchat. Remember that? Oh, Um,
1: geez. Wow. So.
2: A couple of my still closest best friends who also were members of the ICOC who are either like family or we were really like stayed friends forever after that. And we kind of just it's when you talk about it with your friends who are also members and have the Mm -hmm. same experience and you you just tell stories, invent or say memories or lingo and you're dying laughing. And we had I feel like I was lucky enough to be surrounded by people who had really good senses of humor about it. And we use a lot of humor therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. and it just turned in. And then when the whole meme thing started and getting popular, we would send each other that through like email, (laughs) so like like, email or G chat. And then I just thought this should be something. And And then way later on Instagram, I was like, let me just make one. And then I just decided to make one. And, um, already had a lot of ideas because of the conversations and then just started posting them and then would kind of would share them with friends who knew who I was. And then they would share them. And then it grew like a lot Mm -hmm. of people followed it. And I, I was shocked. And every time I would post something that I would think this is way too specific, Mm -hmm. I would just post it anyway. And then so many responses were like, this is exactly right. So it just, it almost was creepy in the sense that you think that you have this specific weird experience and every you, it's so many people had the exact same experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um in general I knew we did but then when I would get specific I'm like oh my gosh and I thought I was also I was pretty much um more of like a west coast focus on there mm-hmm. but it was cool to see people from all over the place relating yeah. and agreeing to it. So it was it was really just like a therapy session for me to be able to use humor to make sense of it and and mm-hmm kind of go through memories and laugh at it, but then connect with people on there and see their responses and even get messages and things and just mm-hmm. know that hopefully make people feel like you're not alone and you actually were right. like you yeah. were what you were thinking wasn't wrong. And mm-hmm. so um I really hope that it could have that it became a source of like I don't know comfort and humor therapy for other people too as I they mean, it, processed it.
0: I think it did. It did for me. Um mm-hmm. and it was fun because like, you know, when I moved because I'm not in Atlanta anymore and then I was telling you off camera how I have a friend that lives two streets behind me that was grew up in the church as well and then I shared these things with him and it's just like mm-hmm. it's just stuff that no one else is going to get except us. Right. And it's so silly and it's so weird and it does. Yeah. It does make you feel less alone. Um, it's also that old saying, if you're not laughing, you're crying.
2: Exactly. That's <laughs> m- mostly how I handle stuff now. Actually, oh. I've tried to show that meme page to um, that account to close people close to me who were never a part of the ICOC. And I'm mm-hmm. showing them one of them like, haha, isn't this hilarious? And they read it and they're like, that's really sad. And oh they're God, not, yeah. they don't think it's funny. I'm like, oh. And that's also why we're weird because we're laughing at this thing and someone else on the outside reads it and they're like, is that true? Did you guys have to do that? I'm like, oh, okay. It, yeah, never mind. Cause it's, it's now only, we gotta talk it. about
0: it. And then they're yeah. staring at you like you're broken or you're sad. Yeah, like, you
2: okay. And I'm like, I'm fine. I made it. I made an Instagram account about it. I'm fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was funny moving States and being somewhere where like, no one's ever heard of this. Mm -hmm. And like, I tell people stories and they're just like,
2: what? Mm -hmm.
0: Like that was messed up. And you're just like, I mean, yeah, just, I mean, okay. Just what I did. Yeah. Yeah, Like they,
2: yeah. They want to stay there with you and be like, is it, what, are you okay? And we're like, yeah, we're fine. It's just, it it explains. Honestly, if you're like, around new close friends or have a significant other that was not a part of the church, you should just show them pages like that and be like, mm-hmm. just read this and it'll explain a lot about me. Yeah, <laughs> This explains why I'm the way that I am.
0: I try to save this kind of stuff with new people for like, you know, a couple of hangouts and then get into right. it. Cause I've got a lot of, like my mom was a clown. So there's a whole lot of things that like that mm-hmm. comes into play. You I know, did so. hear that
2: on one of your episodes and I really, I know this is about like my story, but can we please just take one minute to talk about.
0: Yeah. My mom was a, my mom one. was a clown. She was, um, okay. she did birthday parties and events. Um, she went to a school in Tallahassee, not the Ringling brothers one. There was another one and more than one, yeah, there's more than one. It, it taught her everything. She knew how she made her own costumes, all that stuff she uh, she's the reason why some of my friends, because she would do a lot of the church events. So she was the reason some of my friends are scared of clowns. Um, oh,
2: I'm sweating right now as you're talking about it. The, yeah, my dad would help out.
0: He would help out with her sometimes. And they kind of do a couples like thing. And oh, then that puts okay. things in your head about do they do they wear makeup <laughs> other times? Yes, I think about it. Yes, people always think you're going to think about it. I've never not thought about that. I'm pretty sure they probably did. Um, so, yeah, that's that. Do you
2: like of the squeaky nose late at night? Did you ever hear that?
0: I never heard that, thank God. Um, but she would practice balloon animals on long trips.
2: Oh,
0: um, God,
1: it's all there. The,
0: the the big story was, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was funny because I shared this oh. at my dad's funeral, but my I was so bad for a babysitter that my mom spanked me in full garb so yeah okay.
2: okay I don't know if I can talk about myself at all because this is the story this is the no, story that I mean what that's what that's why you go to therapy that is oh yeah mm-hmm. that was the moment that sent you there right people Just like why like do like you go I... to
0: therapy I was spanked by a exactly clown and I was part of a cult so <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a mm-hmm. live a wealth
2: you win. Okay. You win. I am sweating. Cause I actually am fully scared of clowns to this day, terrified. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the costumes laying around your house, knowing that a clown could just show up any minute. I, I really, wow.
0: Yeah. I even, I dressed up once to help. I needed some money for something. And so my mom was like, I got a gig. You can help me out. So I dressed up like a hobo clown and did a party with her. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Oh, it's just amazing. It's just so. I thank you for talking about it because I heard you no, say one passing comment, and I'm like, hold up, hold on. I really want to know a lot yeah. more. But now I, think I actually, I
0: yeah, I tell people that, and then they're like, may you, it just makes all the sense in the world why you are the way you are. <laughs> so I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, they get me after that. Um, yeah, I love so. Like it's weird to have. So you have this nurturing, nurturing figure in your life that is a clown Mm
2: -hmm. that like
0: had held you when you were a kid. Like she's, she held me one time as a clown. She's hugged me. So I have very like loving memories and images of clowns. And then (laughs) this is going to sound funny. I think that clowns get a really bad rap. I think that they're, they're used. Yes. It's okay that people are scared of them because it's makeup. It's the whole thing, but Mm -hmm. like they've been made into these like satanic death creatures Mm -hmm. and that's not fair because like i know nothing but like love and joy from clowns
2: (laughs) you have more you had more like the ronald McDonald clown Mm -hmm. experience which is i think Mm -hmm. you know charitable really takes care of the kids makes them happy Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: she would even go to the she would even go to swamp and she would dress up as a clown a couple times um
2: oh gosh okay well
0: but, but I I'm think it would totally be song. different if I ever walked in on my parents dressed up like a clown, then I probably would have a different viewpoint, you yeah. know, if they were going yeah. at it, but all yeah. right. But yeah, that's my clown stuff.
2: Wow. So, yeah. Thank you so much. That was a gift. That yeah. was a gift. You're
0: welcome. You're welcome. Everybody out there. <laughs> so
2: that's all right, how, how is it possible that you can hold these two things? Cause here we are talking about uh you know a cultic church we grew up in and you have a clown story on top of that i i really commend you look at it it's just i don't know how you mm-hmm. can have both of those things but it's it's
0: know. it's my cross to bear um it is it really, really is. Is. um yeah, i kind of love <laughs> i've grown into it and grown into like loving that i have this really weird interesting story uh-huh. and uh it's Amazing. fun
2: yeah
0: yeah, i, I love it I mean, not so much the trauma from the church. (laughs) (laughs) I don't love that. We don't love that. So
2: much fun laughing about the traumatic church experience. It's hilarious. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah. So thank you, guys. Check out Did You Have Your QT? Apparently, it was the first one. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I love that the first one is the one that responded and wanted to come on here. So. Well,
2: I, I apologize. Cause I know it's been, uh, you know, kind of sitting there for a long time. It's like fine. I said, it was like my therapy baby in a way mm-hmm. for myself yeah. that I was so excited. Got even any amount of attention or, uh, you know, connected with anyone. I'm so happy about that. And I know I've kind of let it go because I've watched a lot of other, um, similar accounts pop up and, um, I think that's cool that that it inspired that probably but also what's really interesting is to see accounts pop up from even more current church situations as in like newer versions yeah. of COC and mm-hmm. so it shows me that there are people you know young people people in it that are still having to learn from this and lessons and maybe need to know that like, they're not alone too. And I'm glad that they have that outlet now and they can do that. And kind of, I mean, imagine if we had that when we were in high school and college. And so, um, I really like that, but I mean, I think it'll always be my little baby that I'll like a little plant that I'll water sometimes and add a meme to, but, but I really, um, hope it can be used as like a way to reach out. Like if people need to message or are having a hard time or have questions, you know, Mm -hmm. I just love that there's someone who's been in it for, who had been in it for a really long time and learned, I think, to navigate a lot of making sense of it. I hope I can just be like a support to people yeah. who do that, So, but yeah, I it was, it. it was supposed to be like positive, you know, more, more funny and positive, but I know I'm joking about some things that go pretty deep. So I didn't want it to be like disturbing to read, you know, mm-hmm. and just like re-traumatize everybody. I wanted it to be lighthearted, but touch on like how weird we are, how this is so weird that we all can read this and know exactly what this means.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I love that I could commiserate with people that were in, I mean, everybody does, everybody wants to feel that they're not alone, that whatever weird thing they're going through or went through someone else did. And it Mm -hmm. helps us heal. It helps us grow. It helps us feel, less crazy. Um, mm-hmm. it's oh, rad.
2: That's what it did was laughing with friends and sharing stories, like, and then more and more people agreeing. I, it made me feel way less crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny when you find someone that was a part of this and it's like within a drop of a hat, you're talking and you're off to the races and two and a half, yeah. three hours go by. I remember yes. when my, when my wife, and I went over to our friend's house out here and she and she and his wife were just staring at us. Like, I mean, they've been talking for like an hour and a half and I don't understand. They were like, we don't understand any of this. And they're just laughing and saying yeah. all these words and things. It just doesn't make right. sense. But
2: it's like another language mm-hmm. that actually happened to me where I live now. I met a couple, we had mutual friends there and um, sort of got introduced through mutual friends that don't live here, but like, Hey, you got, you guys all live there now you should meet. So they knew some of my people. I knew some of their people. And, um, this actually is one of the posts in the, did you ever quiet time? It's like when you meet someone who used to be in the ICOC outside of it now, and you, you meet them, but you have to kind of gauge if they're the same as you? Like, have yes. you left mm-hmm. the same amount I have? Have you, are you my same mm-hmm. crazy or are you a different crazy that yep. I can't vibe with anymore? And so um this couple, we, we ended up hanging out for the first time and same as you, f- like literally four hours nonstop. Mm-hmm. And it, we discovered pretty early on, we were both in the same place mentally and just kind of in our lifestyle about it and we're cool. And so then it was, instant family. And it's been family ever since. And there's something yeah. so crazy and really beautiful about that, mm-hmm. that we could meet, I could meet someone that I've never met before from like a whole other state. And we both discover that we grew up in the ICOC or went to the ICOC. And mm-hmm. then there's this instant understanding you have of their, um, some traumatic religious experiences, probably the way they think and analyze themselves and everybody else. Uh, lingo, language, there's like major categories of things that you instantly understand without even saying it. And that's just something yeah. so mm-hmm. crazy that I think we can take with us and use as use for good and really powerfully because we mm-hmm. do feel like we belong in that. And it's, it's, I don't know. I think that's the thing that's lasting that was not the intention of, the ICOC, but it's actually being used in such amazing ways for all yeah. of us to be friends, you know?
0: Yeah. And we can learn that we can continue living without this if we choose yeah. not to. And it's okay. And we're going to be okay. And there's a whole world out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can live and be and do however we want to. And there's, and, you know, for all of us that have that, or, you know, I know, you know, we have that feeling there's the same amount that don't, and that's kind of why I do this. That's kind of why I'm talking. That's why I want to continue talking
1: mm-hmm.
0: because, you know, I'm, I, I consider myself lucky. Uh, I mean, I have definite scars, but my scars are definitely not as big as some. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I just hope that the people that have deeper ones can, find what they need you know
2: yeah yeah it's true i think we all what's crazy is we all bond over the fact that we do have the exact same scars mm-hmm. but each of us had our own experience and we're maybe in the path of some really bad seeds that that took it to another level and also depending on your place in the church you had different a different category of scars and so as much as we mm-hmm weirdly can all relate in the similar experience and have the same ones everyone had an individual experience as well and were with certain people and and of course some had some incredibly harder situations and some had privilege but then had to deal with what that meant for their family and the pressure like it's just everyone was fighting the system in some way you know, and, yeah. or surviving it is a better word. Everyone was surviving the system in some way. And I think we judge wh- wherever you stood. Cause we'll talk about that. I'm sure the fact it was such a hierarchy, wherever you stood in it, you probably looked mm-hmm. at someone in a different group as like having it better or worse, or where really we were just, we all were trying to survive in that place and maybe not realizing we were trying to survive it. You yeah. know, but we're trying to make sense mm-hmm. of it at the time and but it's crazy how all of us have exact same scars though in some ways.
0: Yeah, I I wrote it down we all have the same scars because I really liked that you said that. And and it's funny because like the friend of mine that lives here, he won't mind me saying this. He is a nice, handsome, white Republican looking fellow. <laughs> and so and I am not. And so his experience at church is different just because of that because you know we had that very sharp you know that was a thing you yeah. if you looked a certain way if you carried yourself a certain way
3: mm-hmm.
0: he he has he has a totally different experience than mine and also where out here it's a smaller church versus you know in atlanta or you know you on the west coast la mm-hmm. it's just all different but then he in turn had to leave and he in turn left in college and All the things that come from that, because if you fall away, you're, you're disowned. And he had friends that he hasn't spoken to since he's fallen away, you know, Mm -hmm. and I know that he wouldn't mind me sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we all feel it. Doesn't matter where you were. If you're out of it, you were hurt by it in some way. So,
2: Mm -hmm. so you
0: were, you were a kingdom kid though.
2: Yes, I was. It's different for
0: kingdom kids.
2: Yeah. So to explain the vernacular is your kingdom kid it means you were either born into this church or you joined young enough that you grew up in it from a really young age so you're Mm. you're looked at honestly you were looked at as uh basically like a product of like you were going to be a member in the future like Mm -hmm. you were like a grown, homegrown disciple of this church, yeah. basically, because mm-hmm. that was the goal is, you know, all the kids, eventually the, the greatest thing they can do is get baptized into this church. So, so yeah, I was born into it. Um, mm-hmm. My story is actually probably as OG as you can get, because my parents were part of the original college ministry in Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, that, that where this, this idea sparked this new type of mm-hmm. ministry that led to the ICOC. I say led to, because I really do. And yeah, that's my parents were there. So obviously I love my family. I mean, I do love my family. We're really close, but I do look at them as their, their college kids in the seventies when things were very revolutionary. They were probably one of the, like their, their generation looked so different than their parents. Mm-hmm. It was right after like the late sixties and there's still all this revolution going on. And so they- They wanted to do things better and differently. And so I really do look at the beginning of how this started as similar to even now, those of us who have left, who are trying to, the word for it, I think now is reconstruction, like reconstruct Mm -hmm. your face or deconstruct, sorry, deconstruct. What we're doing now is probably exactly the same thing they were doing, which was trying to break out of the tradition, the staleness of just systems that their parents were in and the churches were like, and they wanted something more real and fiery and committed. And that is what I've grown up really seeing and believing that they they started out. And that's what it was like for them. That's their stories to me of what it was like. So that's how it started. And then um, through some leadership at the time and through the leader of the ICOC KIP, McKean, he, he made it a real actual like, movement of its own, but um, Mm -hmm. parents met, met in college and got married in the church and they were part of, they were the, you know, original, um, I guess, generation of people that, you know, got married, graduated college and went out to, in the ministry and they were, um, leading churches or trying to plant churches. Now, my parents were not a member of part of the 30 would-be's and I think we need to talk uh, about thirty would-bees. I'm sorry if that phrase just traumatized anyone listening, but um, the, the thirty, 30 would-be disciples. The
3: fact,
2: in the fact room. My, I do like shudder every time I say it. That my body yeah. reacts like ugh, it's just it's hard to say. But the thirty would-bees is the story. Now this is important because if yeah. you're a kid, if you're a kid in this church, this is a story told to you like the telling of santa claus on the night before mm-hmm. christmas every year all the time it's like folklore it's like the mm-hmm. story like you it was literally talked about as if it was a book in the bible yep um which sounds very similar to like mormonism and all these other religions that have their own story of how they started doesn't it so yeah, anyway it um, the 30 Woodbees is a group of 30 people from a lot of them i think from florida but kind of a mix i i i'm don't so remember. it was some of
0: it, some I'm of them. It <laughs> no, it's okay. Some of them moved when Kip was. So Kip was going to take over this specific church out there. Yeah, I've. So I have like three books. There's this book out there called um, "Toxic Christianity." Um, I
2: heard of that? I'm oh so yeah,
0: nice. I, I had to print it out. It's this huge. Oh, I printed it out. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pages. And so what's funny is it's, it's written by a guy named Mr. X because he was, a, he was a member of, he was a high ranking, high ranking person in the ICOC. And he, yeah. he had to leave for a while. He actually, um, I've been trying to figure out who he is. I'm not going to share who he is or who I think he is. But I wonder if like I a, read
2: it, if I could tell who it is. Hold on, let me just refill my wine since we're talking about the 30 would
0: well, he was a public, he, so do we had, for those of you, you know, do you remember the upside down magazine that would go around to churches? It was like their publication yeah. their magazine. So he yeah. was a part, he was either one of the publishers or worked on there. I mean, I've gone deep to where like I found like um, i've been trying to find who it is but anyway he talks okay. about how so kip went to boston and i think he was there to help this church and then there were people that were living there and then there were people that he asked to move there
2: okay yes so,
0: but yeah and it was 30 yes mm-hmm.
2: so they they kip talked about this event in this living room they were all in this living room of this couple <clears throat> Yeah, um, mm-hmm. the Gempels, which we can say because that's literally in the paperwork in the church, like it's in their story. So I feel bad for them. But, yeah. <laughs> um. So, well, I mean, they were pretty hardcore, just so you know. My mm-hmm. So anyway, they um, it was in their living room. They just they decided to to basically have a church that was a way that was is kind of revolutionary at the time and calling mm-hmm. out some new practices and new involvement and things like that. So that's kind of like where it started is, is basically how we were told, you know, that's the story. And so then from there, what my parents did in those early, early beginning days is they weren't planting churches. They were actually going to already established churches, churches of Christ. So the ICOC branched out from what was the traditional church of Christ mm-hmm. in the United yep. States, which was a non-denominational a lot of our parents, our grandparents, were part of this. It was very, you know, traditional American white church, yep. you know, and um, so they wanted it to be shaken up and more like commitment and and evangelize. I think grow the churches and have more, just evangelize more like in the Bible. So they were going to church. So I was born um in Ohio, and my parents went to Cincinnati, and they were based these early ministry people were going to basically try to restructure the church to practice Mm -hmm. and live in this way. But a lot of them were like, no, we're not going to do that. And so that's what caused the split and for the ICOC to just become its own thing. So Mm -hmm. for years, like several years, there were, they were going in, in part of traditional churches of Christ and practicing. And they were the focus even back then, which the call was given to focus on the college ministries Mm -hmm. and the young people because young people naturally want to be different and they want more, something more exciting. And, but they're also very moldable and they're very, you know, like ready for something for a cause. And so the, I think the campus ministries, the college ministries are what really set the tone for separating into our own church. So I moved around a lot because my parents were in the ministry. So I spent only like a year in each city and state that for years, like just moved and moved and moved. Yeah. And I was part of the, I was on the East Coast a lot. But early, early, I think I was in kindergarten or about to start kindergarten when I finally moved to the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Those early years in the Bay Area and the San Francisco church were, very intense. Okay. This was like the late eighties. And I remember this, uh, I remember going like, you know, midweek was like our Wednesday night service that everyone was expected to go to. Well, they (laughs) called for midweek. They called for, to go to church every night for like a week or two weeks. And I, my memories of that are being in this giant, like either conference center in downtown Mm -hmm. San Francisco. And we lived all around. So it took us like 45 minutes to get there till like 10 o'clock at night. All the kids were laying, they were playing movies and we were in our pajamas and our parents were getting like reamed and preached at on how to be better, like real disciples every night. And this was a school, these were school nights. And then we had to go to school the next day and we'd get home so late. (laughs) And (sighs) It was fun as a kid when you get to hang out with your friends every night because, you know, our life was the church. But um, I don't know, as a mom now, I'm like, there is no way I'm taking my kids that far every single night to be yelled at because, you know, that's what was happening.
0: Exactly. Um, That's exactly what was happening.
2: Yeah. So there was so my parents were in the ministry my whole childhood until um, we actually got to live in Puerto Rico. For a year, they were leading the Puerto Rico church um, and I was in about fourth grade and my dad actually got fired. He got laid off from the ministry and it was a huge blow to the family and to him. And because the way that I would say the um, big powerful system was definitely showing itself even as early as like the early nineties, I think the late eighties, nineties is when it really became a system of its own. Um, there were weird dynamics of, of leadership and ownership. So, um, certain main churches with the top leaders were kind of overseeing a lot of other smaller churches. So for some reason, we're all the way over in Puerto Rico and my parents go to mentors and, you know, disciplers who were, they were people, they were basically just like reporting to and about their church and how it was doing and growth were all the way over in California, in LA. And we like never saw them. I think they were felt they were kind of alone. My mom was really sick at the time. And, um, I remember she got told that she doesn't love the women enough because she didn't speak the language. Like there was like weird controlling comments being made even back then, like in the early nineties. And it just kind of was promoting, it started to really promote this feeling of give everything. You're not yourself. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to this movement and Mm -hmm. everything you do can be rebuked and discipled into what we need you to do. And so if you didn't grow, if your church didn't grow, um, you would just be fired. And this was like a way that people were supporting their kids and making a living. And Mm -hmm. so my parents, we came back to the States and, um, over to, California again, where our good friends, I mean, all your friends are in the church and we're kind of wondering what to do at that point. And then we, our closest friends were down, had just moved to LA. So then a year later we moved down to the LA area. And Mm I, and my parents got to be quote, regular disciples, which is so funny because if you're in the ministry, you have a whole other role and a different life. But then when you're a member, you're everyone has regular jobs and you kind of, you have other responsibilities, but if you're in the ministry, you eat, sleep, breathe the church because that's what your dad's actual job is. So, so we got, we got both. Like we got the, I grew up in the ministry and then I got this span of like 11 years, 10 years of being just a member a family. That's a member. Um, but because of who they were and they were, they were veterans to it, you know, and well-known. And we had really great relationships with people in our region. Um, They, I feel like I grew up as like a ministry kid who was also not a ministry kid, but who was very, very close to, and always around like kind of the top ministry families. But I was the most like unknown person in that. So (laughs) I'm kind of like anonymous, but I know all of them. And so it's, or I knew of them or we went on youth course together or something like that. Like I was always around that, but nobody really knew who I was because my parents weren't preaching at the main events, you know, Wow, kind of nice because you, but it's not nice because you hear all the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I heard a lot of things growing up and I heard a lot of just, things that revealed the mentality in the system, in that whole, that's just the way it is mm-hmm. mentality. So it was very hard to grow from that. But my parents then later became elders. They were asked to be elders. And I was in college at the time. We, you know, cause to be an elder, you're basically, that's like a shepherd where you're mm-hmm. more of like a, you're more of like a nurturing, mentoring family. Who's well-established. You've been in the church years. Your kids are member. Your kids have been baptized in it. You're more of an example of like, um, I don't know, strong faith and consistent yeah. faith, mm-hmm. and your families succeeded. And so that was a huge honor, but my parents were very cautious because of what had happened before. They're like, are you sure? Like we have full established careers. If we leave that, are we going to be taken care of? Are we going to be okay? And they're like, yes, yes, yes. Well, that was around the time that a letter came out the henry creek letter. letter yeah the letter shook everybody up and i think the la church was panicking and the finances mm-hmm. were about to be exposed and yeah. they laid my parents off again
0: jeez your poor parents
2: <laughs> i know yeah it was so you know i have my own personal little bit of bitterness there about my my sweet parents but anyway so um And then that's what inspired them to get a fresh start. And we all ended up moving to Atlanta. So I was in the a for a little bit and that's how we know a lot of the same people. And, um, when I got there though, I was, I was really, uh, reconsidering everything and I was on the out. Mm -hmm. I was definitely trying to leave and was kind of on the fence. And then, um, and then I turned 21 and I was in Atlanta and the welcome to Atlanta song was released and there were clubs. <laughs> and so I was like, "Hey, bye. And, <laughs> and that explains a lot about what I was doing there. So Anyway, um, that was my story. <laughs> That's what I was doing in Atlanta. I wasn't really a part of it in Atlanta, but I you knew were a lot of having
1: your own church. <laughs> I, was
2: having, I was having a whole other church. I was having a yep. whole other upbringing. But your whole 20s, that is an absolute growing up time.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I kind of consider that I grew up in, in California and Atlanta because the formative years of your 20s are so, so crucial yeah. and um, nobody knows what they're doing in their 20s. So, but then to be leaving a, your whole identity and your whole community during that time added an extra level of stress on there. So it was pretty it was a pretty wild time.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, man, that was a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, I no, I love that it. All the details either. Do you have no, it's just it's just
0: I it's interesting because like I have such a high, hyper specific memory of church from the East coast. Mm-hmm. And so to think about like, cause I, I remember being like, Oh, that'd be awesome to be out in the LA church. Mm-hmm. That'd be so cool. LA. Wow. Like I considered, I mean, I considered Atlanta one of the top churches, right. Being in there. Like I remember yeah, reading, I read some documents in the nineties where it showed like Atlanta was always like, up in the top five of the churches in the whole movement.
2: And so, okay, wait, when you say that, you mean because of numbers, right?
0: Because of numbers. Yeah. So because it's because of, of numbers, but like, it was mainly numbers, but I remember just thinking mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, this is, this is big. Like I'm in a, you know, but then yeah. you hear about LA, you hear about New York, you hear about Boston and London. So it's just, it's, it's interesting to, to mm-hmm. hear from someone else's perspective like what it was like on the west coast i mean you're moving a lot Mm
3: -hmm.
0: your parents are fired twice like oh geez wow (laughs) i remember like you you saying the elder thing also brought up stuff because i remember when my dad was considered for an eldership and mm -hmm. i i got so frustrated because i knew that like for you know their kids had to be disciples and My brothers weren't baptized and I don't think I was baptized yet, but I was like, my dad like done all this stuff. Everybody loves him. I think he'd make a great elder. Like, yeah. And then he wasn't chosen. And I was just like, Oh man, that sucks.
2: And I don't know if I'm someone might hear this and think I'm, they have the absolute opposite experience, but I remember feeling like the elders were kind of the more safe. They were they were really like nurturing and mm-hmm. kind and safe. At least some of the elder families I had the experience to be around, I could I could see that some elder families might be just as powerful and overbearing as as ministry preacher leaders, you know, but elders, their role was to be like shepherds. And so I feel like that that role was pretty um evident in the Bible and it wasn't given as much attention or investment in the, like they, there were, they were very few and far between when, like you say, your family, I think there should have been so much more because the fact that my parents were able to just live and work in this region and just be members. And we had a lot of really close relationships. We had some really amazing families where I lived. I wasn't in the, I wasn't in like downtown LA where the epicenter where Kip actually was. I think it's so crazy the closest you get, the closer you get to where the main leaders are, the more hardcore, the more drama there is. And if you're in one of those little out, outlier regions, you're kind of weird and doing your, you're kind of like just more like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know, you're less showy. Um, But we were in the LA church, so we were definitely influenced by it. And so I think, um, but what's weird is I was like, Friends with and close to a lot of the people, and like I said, because of my parents knew everybody from college, and we were just always tied in. And I had a lot mm-hmm. of most of my close friends there, you know, their parents were still in the ministry, and um, but my family were they didn't have that pressure on them, but they still were very prominent people and and led Bible talks. Like so, our church was broken down into into groups of. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have like a small group and then you have your city location where you go to church Mm -hmm. and then you've got several cities together called a region. And -hmm. then you've got a super region, which is several regions that meet like every couple months. And it's fun because it's a huge, big group. Then you've got like your whole part of your state. Well, California is huge. So the L, you know, break it up by like region of California oh my gosh, it was so many, but that was also what's so weird is like, we got so used to language and numbers and categories and titles being as important as like the Bible. Like it was the vocabulary, Mm -hmm. the words that were bestowed upon us to start using, um, where I remember when just that sacredness in which someone was named a job title like when they came out with the phrase world evangelist
0: oh god kill me like it
2: was it was and the i don't think there were fireworks but my brain has now created that that fireworks happened when kip first uttered the words world evangelist like he would come up with a new title for a new yeah like someone in charge and then would mm-hmm. say it. And the way the LA teens, um, I mean, this was Hollywood. Okay. So when we had a big teen ministry event, it mm-hmm. was like all out all world, if you will. And we wow. had, um, a lot of money was put into that. Now that I realized, because, um, we had crazy stage, like we had a stage and we were, there was always like and our dancers and i i mean i was one of the dancers so i can't really (laughs) criticize it Uh, (laughs) uh, 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 (laughs) It was honestly one of the best things about it was like the dancing and we were in la so we had like actual industry people that were disciples Mm -hmm. professional dancers that would be choreographing our teen uh performances it was Mm -hmm. amazing but then you think about we all got costumes we had like skateboarders in the background on half pipes and stuff what yeah. And like wow. huge screens and sound systems and stage pro- one time there was a waterfall on the stage.
0: Yeah. You guys, I own like I mean Atlanta had our stuff but like you would watch I mean we've we're already going to talk I mean the K&N videos and you would oh, see stuff. Those mm-hmm. K&N videos. Like people don't understand I want to pa- So here, I want to pause to come back to the eldership thing because it's important oh, yeah. because in every other denomination or every other church, an eldership is, like, critical to church leadership. Every yeah. church has an eldership. It is mm-hmm. something that is, like, I mean, besides it being biblical, I mean, it's, like, it's the people that take care of making sure that the person, the pastor, the preacher, whatever, is, like, doing their job to shepherd as well. Yeah. And so we didn't have that at all. I only remember getting elders in Atlanta and it was after the letter came out. It was right after the letter because I remember it was the Congo service because we had the congregational service. Like you talked about that, the regions we got together in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. We never had a super region because it was just Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's not as big as L.A. Uh, we just had our congregational service because I remember the service because that's when um <laughs> this guy, this guy sang a creed song. Uh, oh, <laughs> <and> I, <one laughs> I think the, we all
2: had a creed song sung. Out oh, my God. Someone.
0: He sang higher. And um yeah, it was it was <laughs> then that we got the elders.
2: Wow. Really?
0: So, it was right after the letter because they were trying to, like, clean things up and all of that stuff. I'm probably going to, someone's going to be like, no, you're wrong. Whatever. That's how I remember it. Yeah. So yeah. And
2: the elder thing was, yeah, the elder thing was, it felt so important. And I just remember being so like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a sense of safety and relief when there was an elder Mm -hmm. around because they did feel like they could just help you. It it felt like you were more free to have questions and doubts Mm -hmm. and like go be a human because the elder was there to be like, it's okay. And like, help you through your faith versus getting yelled at and told this is the new rule. Well, actually you weren't told. It was just like, it was kind of unwritten rules, but it was, um, I don't know. It it was something really important. And I think, I think my, because my parents already knew everybody and were friends, it was like a safe, um, place. They really cared about the group. Mm -hmm. And so when the letter came out and called out every, the church for its practices and its controlling system, and then big churches like LA were freaking out because everyone, they were asking for, um, the financial records of all the leaders and they were asking. Mm -hmm. So my parents were working really hard to have a lot of like meetings and talks, and they were going into the LA meetings with all the lead, all the evangelists, like the preachers, and then the, some of the other elders. And speaking for our region and Mm -hmm. trying to voice like what is wrong and what the people really need right now, what they need from them. So I went to, um, well, anyways, my parents ended up moving to Atlanta a few months before I did because I was in college and I was finishing out my semester and they moved in the spring And I remember I was starting to say things like I was starting to ask for a meeting for our college ministry to be able to talk. And I was like asking our, our campus leader at the time, like, Hey, can we get together with all the, all the college kids? Because we, I, I think we should be able to share how we feel and talk about what's going on right now. This is a big deal. And I think we need to, you need to like. You need to hear the voices of the members, what they feel and being, you know, being validated. And it was like, no, no, no. They said no forums because they tried to do that in London, and apparently it was like chaos and everyone was yelling. And they're like, the rule was you can't have any forums. But I'm like, but these are hurting people. Like you got to let have us meet. And then they eventually decided to meet, and we were all in. I remember the living room of my apartment. I had a couple roommates and. They were all at our house and everyone just shared ways that they feel bullied or, you know, like things are kind of wrong. And it was really a beautiful, it was a small group and Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful time. And, um, but I was starting to say things like, like I was a Bible talk leader. So I was in charge of collecting people's tithes and money.
0: (gasps) You were a Bible talk leader.
2: I was. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We need to unpack your reaction, um, impression right now because that's a real thing, and that we need to talk about that. Yeah. Okay, so I was a Bible talk leader, and um, mm-hmm. I had to collect all my girls' money, make sure they turned uh-huh. in their tithe every week.
0: Did you have a spreadsheet?
2: Oh, oh my god, I had to. I had to report it to my, my roommate. Was like one of like I guess the campus women's leader at that time, mm-hmm. or she was like one of the top one you had to report it to. And I just was so my parents had already gotten fired again. They had moved. They were elders who were trying to speak up for the people. So that's when I finally found my voice, which I think was Mm -hmm. just annoying and scaring everyone who had known me since I was like 14, you know, And that, and I was like 20. And so, um, I told them, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. They're like, you need, someone didn't turn it in. And and they're like, you need to call her and find out. And she needs to turn it in by tomorrow. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I had never, like you can't ever say no, but it was done. It was done at that point. I was like, I know I'm moving to Atlanta. So no. And they, and then they just were like, okay, you know what? I'm surprised I didn't get as rebuked, but I think it's because they knew my parents left and I was having breakdowns and they're like, just, we'll just have someone else do it. And lo and behold, we had this big service where all the LA, like some of the top LA leaders came over to our region. Uh-huh. And it was a, you knew it was a serious service because they were going to address all the stuff in the Henry Crete letter. Like they were going to talk about how do we stand as a church. And I was so ex- I was so looking forward to it because, um, it really did feel like your home was falling mm-hmm. apart or like yes. on fire. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like your house was their bur- childhood home was burning. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like. And I was just hoping that the leaders that I looked up to my whole life or that were dads. I saw them as dads because I was friends with their kids, like Mm -hmm. that they would love us and be, and be like, yes, definitely. This is a problem. We're all going to change. And there I'll never forget. They were up on that stage and they preached for 45 minutes about forgiveness, 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 forgive your leaders, forgive people. And then they asked for everybody to fill out a card to write how much you would be tithing if you're going to stay a member of this church.
1: Mm. And then
2: they ask, basically, if you want to still be a member of this church, you need to fill out this card and say how much you're going to tithe. I, I remember my discipler at the time, which is your like older mentor, your like mentor person that mm-hmm. you're supposed to tell all your sins to all the time and connect with every week she actually, she wasn't even, I don't even know if she was my disciple. She was just one of the good ones. And we stayed friends and we looked at each other. Like, are you kidding me? It was my heart just like sunk. And then I called my dad crying, sobbing, like they're not changing. Nothing's changing. And he was so mad. He's like, I talked for hours and hours and had so many meetings about, about like what the people in our region needed. And it was not money and control. And it was so disheartening. It's, it made you realize like, wow, things are not going to change.
0: Yeah. That was so weird to me. I I think about what happened after the letter and versus what I wanted to happen. And it was like, it was stuff like that. I mean, God, that has to hurt to Mm -hmm. feel so much hope about something and you're going to talk to people and they do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, it was hard because you do say your house is on fire because like, this is all we knew. This mm-hmm. was our world. This was like, yeah, this was yeah. it. And it
2: was your identity, it was your, it's natural for mm-hmm. kids to look to their parents as um, the truth. Like that's what kids do. They, mm-hmm. whatever their parents raise them with is their version of the truth, you know, and what they think mm-hmm. is real. And so, um, yeah we were raised in that. And I think we each had our own experience with our own family. So every, as Mm -hmm. much as we had a collective experience, each of us were experiencing our Mm -hmm. own family, which had its own dynamic and its own personality. And Mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate that my family was really close and my parents Mm -hmm. were present, you know, whereas I think if the ministry kids, Mm -hmm. their parents were so busy and so full of like pressure and meetings and upholding this rapid growth system that they missed so much of their parents and um i really always thought that i was kind of saved by my parents getting fired that first time because we got to just be a regular family you know and whereas ministry kids and this is why i think you know you look at ministry kids in the church there was a sense of privilege they absolutely had so many perks they had money they had the money from the church ministry Mm -hmm. kids were the ones that got picked to do everything to go on special trips to speak at different events and and we all knew it we all saw it i i was one of those kids at one point too and then i wasn't also at the same time like it was both and i knew the system was a hundred percent there but then those ministry kids were fighting their own battle with maybe being raised by nannies or maybe Mm -hmm. being even more controlled by the system because their parents also were controlled by the system. It's like as much as their parent as the ministry parents might have been the ones really promoting the bad system and control, those families were also victim fighting for their lives in a way. You know, like I think it yeah, was there were
0: a- there were some good ones. There were some there good were. People yeah. that really you say fight for your life. I remember because like in Atlanta, I mean we were we were we were one of them big churches. And I remember when our leader got up and told us what was going on. And and I felt, I always felt a little bit of respect for him for kind of how he took, he kind of took it on the chin, you know? And then I remember our campus leader, we had a meeting after that and he, I talked about some of the other pod um, with, another guy where it was like, we he kind of was like, no rules, just right. We know you guys can do this. We know you guys know what's right versus what's wrong. And that was the time that he stepped down to. But there were also a lot of people that took advantage of, yeah. of this. And, and that's the one that's the heart. Those are the people that it's hard to mm-hmm. have forgiveness for,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and, you talk about the ministry kids, and I remember I when I, I worked with teens, and, and I remember there was this one kid when he was, I remember seeing him when he was like eight, and he was asleep in a chair at church. It was after, and I could see his parents were in a bunch of talks and meetings, and I that was something that always struck me because I was like, I bet this kid hates this right now yeah the
2: like, fellas, being the last one at a yeah,
0: and just you know and and all that stuff and
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean it was tough it yeah. was
2: yeah, you had to I mean, mm-hmm. I remember one time my parents had to go to this meeting I was I was young I might have been in third grade, and for some reason, I don't know why I was so upset. I was sobbing hysterically, begging them not to go to the meeting, and I wasn't normally like that like we had great babysitters and nannies growing up. I love them. But for some reason I was like dying, I like felt like they were actually leaving me. Like I like Mm -hmm. couldn't bear for them to leave again. And they were, I remember the look on their face. They didn't want to go. Like they really didn't want to go, but they did go. I'm not even mad at them about that story. I just am like, as I remember the angst on their face. And I remember for some reason me as a little kid, just like, please like begging them not to leave again for another meeting and like begging them. And then I think I saw that they didn't want to go and them going just was a testament to not being able to make your own decisions and say like, and they could have, they definitely could have, I'm not saying we, you know, but they, it was just, you couldn't miss a meeting. And that was just the whole culture. So they were as much, uh, you know, pressured by the culture as we were as kids. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I
0: felt that with my parents too. My parents were Bible talk leaders a lot. Um we had a lot of, you know, churches in our house. You know, they weren't, you know, the high up leaders, but I still remember <laughs> the meetings they had to go to after church on Sunday. And I used to hate it because we had to find something to do because, you know, I don't know if this was like this in LA, but, you know, in Atlanta, we were always in hotels or like conference centers. Oh, yeah. And so it wasn't like we were in a building that we knew it was like some random hotel.
2: I I need to speak for a second about hotels and conference centers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say something really weird about me, but I maybe just like the Did You Ever Quiet Time um, account. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe it's not just me. When I have dreams, when Mm -hmm. I tell you that I dream in conference centers and hotel ballrooms, I'm not even kidding. Literally every dream I have that's a social situation always takes place in a hotel ballroom or a massive conference center or a gathering of so many people. That's all of my dreams. I dream conference centers and hotel ballrooms now. And I think that's really weird. And I know that it's cuz that's how we spent all of our time mm-hmm. in these massive church uh devotionals and all-night prayer nights and all this stuff. I grew up and I grew up in them. I grew up yeah. in those places.
0: I was telling someone um how hotels are to us like <laughs> cathedrals are to Catholics
2: i truly associate hotel ballrooms with church
0: yep like i could i was thinking about going i was thinking about taking a trip to atlanta and just filming myself and all of these hotels and conference centers and talking about what it was like because i i can i can remember smells like i can go to a hotel and be like oh yeah that probably leads to the conference area Oh, they got tables. There. I wonder if they have mints and candies like this one does. Cause this one hotel had always had candy set out for us and little cups of water for that. And that was always really cool. And then I used to love to go to the phone banks and try to find quarters. Uh-huh. Um, I used to love like trying to find all the hidden passageways and hotels yeah. to try to get to other hotels and stuff. Um,
1: oh, yeah. One
0: that. time I, one time I made it through, five buildings in Atlanta and I didn't leave. I found all these little doors that opened to new places. And I, it was, it was mm. a fun excursion. We didn't have um,
2: in my cities. It was like, we did have uh in San Francisco, the kids classes, the little Sunday school was set up in like the basement area. And then like, I think a yeah. bunch of a lot of homeless people were coming down there to get warm during the kids. Uh, classes. <laughs> <laughs> this was the 80s. So I'm not just going to blame the church for being negligent. This was the 80s. There wasn't a lot of background checks back mm. then. I don't think I no, think I got spanked. There. I think a Sunday school teacher spanked me. My mom told me that I don't even remember. Uh, it. Yeah, I've been was-
0: spanked at church, but I've never been spanked by someone. Yeah, I remember. Yeah.
2: Well, and I will give uh, props to my mom because she, I think, rebuked that person and was like, don't, that's not okay. Don't do that. And yeah. so I appreciate that that wasn't like celebrated. I have no memory of it. So I wasn't totally traumatized or I blocked it out. Maybe it was. I don't know.
0: My, uh, my favorite memories were in middle school to high school. Our church met in a holiday inn and the, our classes were in hotel rooms. So like,
2: with a bed?
0: Yeah, with it would it would be the suites, and so <laughs> it would be like six middle schoolers and like two middle school workers trying to lead kids, and we're in this like hotel room, mm-hmm. and like I remember it was fun because if the the middle school worker was cool enough, we would like try to find like shows to watch, like <sighs> after the talks and stuff like that, but yeah. like that kind of stuff is weird, right? It's weird to be like we had all of these church services and hotels and hotel rooms, you know?
2: Okay. This speaks to the community that the ICOC was. So you uh-huh. were expected. So it was, it was the language language was very powerful. And the way that um, the leader, the, the basically head uh, person Kip spoke, uh-huh. he was a very gifted speaker and, and he was a very like inspirational person and something and I, he talked about it a lot, but he really studied, um, leaders in history. Like he truly studied them. Like he talked about them so much, you know, he actually watched and learned from them. And so the oh, way yeah. he spoke, mm-hmm. he, it mm-hmm. was like someone who had really dove deep into, um, inspirational speaking and, and like, just how to really phrase and inspire people and so the way he used language was so powerful and the way he Mm -hmm. would deem a title of a of a role or the name of a region i cannot count the amount of times we heard the phrase mainland china okay i i don't know why he had to put an emphasis on red dragon like the names for the behind the curtain
0: we went behind the curtain
2: Yes, I cannot with the amount like it's in all the maps of where our churches were nations, the word nation. I still don't understand. I maybe I blocked I blocked out geography because of which, the way it was thrown at us all the time, yeah.
0: which is and what leads us the- back to KNN videos, because that's yeah. where we saw all the we oh, would blown. have the because mm-hmm. it was. Do you remember the evangelization proclamation? Um yes,
2: I've read it. I've read it a few times. I actually am really weird and um read it again after I left because sometimes I do weird things and go check on the church like it's an ex-boyfriend or something and just (laughs) myself with information. I don't know if that's like therapeutic or just self-harm, but I do it sometimes.
0: With with me in the process of what I'm doing, I mean I've I've I have like three different books I've I've printed out.
2: You're the same, you do it too. Yeah, you did.
0: print it out. I printed out the depositions from the lawsuits to read them. I've oh, printed out is. like old I know it is. I've printed out old um upside down articles. I've printed because I'm trying to understand like where you know get a better sense of where we came from, things like that. Um, but yeah. I remember those those K and N videos after the evangelization proclamation and because those were the, those were our, it was our own news. I mean, we had a news network, we had a publishing company, we had an adoption agency.
2: Oh, we yeah. Had, hope. Yeah. Yeah. Remember how they, this. remember how they invited Michael Jackson to watch a children's hope event? That was yeah. cool.
0: <laughs> someone should have, <laughs> someone should have double checked that. Um, <laughs> I remember uh,
2: uh, at the time I was, I was a kid and I was the biggest Michael Jackson fan. Like, yeah mm-hmm. and then later you're like, oh no, oh
0: no I remember um, um so the KN videos were so great because they were the news videos of our church.
2: Mm-hmm. I used
0: to love when they would come out because then the church service would be cut short and then we'd get to watch this this silly video that was news about our church from around the world. And they would have the missions countdown and we would see like, you know, how many churches are there because we were going to get to all of them by the year 2000.
2: Oh, this is a really important part of why we are the way that we are. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. here was the entire reason behind this church. Mm -hmm. It was that we will evangelize the world in our generation. The the, the phrase in our generation is very key here because that's what it said. That's what was said over and over. Did you ever know what that meant? I don't, in our generation, meaning while we're all all still alive, but then you had like grandparents who were not, who were dying. So like,
0: it wasn't their generation,
2: is it ours?
0: I think it meant while the leaders that were in charge were in charge so basically before kip Kip. died
2: yeah so kip will convert Mm -hmm. the whole Mm -hmm. world or have a church in every single corner of the world Mm -hmm. in our lifetime basically so we were going to evangelize the world that was our cause that was our whole reason and the the way because we were the right church we we figured out the bible
1: Mm -hmm.
2: we were doing it right um we were we were the real church and so even other Christians and other churches were not saved because they were oh. not baptized in the right way into our church and this is what we were carrying around with us and having to evangelize around and so the evangel evangelization getting getting people to be saved was equivalent to getting them to be members of our church so then, the day-to-day practice like why are you you guys are laughing and hanging out why are you so traumatized because the pressure for that was that it broke down it was that's the big huge goal so then to break it down was to you know have a lot of organization in churches and leadership Mm -hmm. and then have a lot of um a lot of delegate it was very military you know like Mm -hmm. it was like you delegate and so you I remember as a ministry kid, knowing the system so well, but not really being able to verbalize it. But I realized looking back how much I knew how it worked, but it wasn't until way later that I could actually like verbalize what it was. So for example, I had this horrible, uh, campus, uh, college women's ministry leader who, um, even in my my time in the teen ministry or the college ministry, you'd have leadership changes.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. you
2: might have a couple, um, like a husband and wife that were leading your teen group, and maybe they were awesome and they were so sweet and they were so cool and normal. They were good people. Like there was yeah. a lot of really great people and good, real faith going on amidst mm-hmm. in the midst of this insane system but um so you might have had some really great people and then for whatever reason honestly no one ever knew the reason they had to move and go lead something else and they'd pull in a new couple to come lead your group and sometimes that new couple would be horrible and they were just they were they were the ones really putting a lot of control and power and direction onto the young people so they were either really hardcore about sin and just like you would get, you would get in trouble a lot. You get rebuked a lot. And a lot of them would like, you could get picked on if they decided that they didn't like you or that you were too influential or you were too like cool or something, they would really crush you. And I, and there were, like you said, this isn't just, this was, um, encouraged and I think fueled by the church for people like this to succeed and have this much power. But these people that did this also obviously had personal issues and they really like thrived in this environment because they Mm -hmm. were able to have their power trips unchecked, you know? So all of our, all of our situations were so because of the system, but but so many of our experiences were because of individual personalities that really either um, were completely crushed in the system or thrived on the power that they and they learned how to use it. They learned how to have that power, and so um, or they were just lost and followed it so hard because they wanted to belong and they wanted to be accepted, and so they were really dumb and not tactful. And they destroyed a bunch of teenage girls, self-esteem, you know, that type of thing. So this one um, camp, this college um, women's ministry leader I had was just like super hardcore and did a lot of bullying, a lot of bullying. And so I, you know, I've made my peace with a lot of stuff, but then there's always a couple stories or a couple people that I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever be not mad about that because that was really, really bad. And so um, the it was things like you had to evangelization was asking people to come to church with you every single day. You had to ask someone or people to come to church with you. And the goal was to have visitors and you were praised and and raised up and looked at as a leadership material. If you had a lot of people come to church with you or you baptized people, you converted them into members of the church by doing Bible studies. And then they decided they wanted to be a member. So the more you did that, the more you were spiritual and closer to God and doing mm-hmm. well spiritually. How are you doing spiritually, by the way? <laughs> that's the worst question? How are you doing I spiritually? Almost, I almost I catch never you know.
0: off because you were saying the people that were like the, the, like the ones that were like deemed the most spiritual, I was going to be like, it was always the pretty and the handsome ones that before you got into the, that, because yes, I started to notice that up,
2: you notice the systems and you can't even say it out loud, but you started to notice that. Why are all the pretty, the good looking people, the most spiritual, why are they the yeah. most uh, like, a, let's say you have people who are visitors Who start studying the Bible, which means they're starting the process to become members. Okay. And everyone's all real excited because they're about to back. They're about to get more people in. Mm -hmm. So if somebody studies the Bible, who's just a regular person, cool. The person who invited them is going to probably do most of the Bible studies. And at the very end, the leader will, the leadership will come in and deem if they're committed enough to get baptized. If it's a really hot person or a really rich person or a really high profile person, then the leadership will be involved in every single study from the beginning to end. They're going to
0: make them feel so welcome, so warm. They're so a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And as in what, I don't think the, the adults at the time, I say the, we're all the adults now, but back when we were kids, I don't think the adults realized that we, the kids were seeing and understanding all of that. I don't think they realized that we knew this, that we could see this. And we, we knew, yeah. the system. I think we knew the system more than they even realized the system that they were doing, but a lot I, of them didn't realize that. I knew,
0: for, I knew from a very young age that there was, I knew my place and I knew where I wasn't going to go or what, where I wasn't allowed or how far, you know, like that, mm-hmm. uh, I knew I was going to be I was never going to be on the stage. I was never going to be there. And it wasn't because of I didn't want to or I didn't feel like I had anything to share or I was of value. It was because I didn't look a certain way. I didn't act a certain way. And where we lived played a part into it. And I mean, my parents were really invested and a part of the church. And they, a lot of people knew them just as much as like your parents were known. But we weren't at that other level and I don't you know I don't know you what it was spotlight. so yeah you were yeah, we in, in the spotlight so like no matter how important like people all the time would tell me how important my parents were to the church and and I saw that in people i used to think that my parents had so much street cred versus like real popularity kind of thing
2: yeah but but is, uh, that's cool but yeah. i
0: knew i was second class from, Mm -hmm. from a very young age. And that's been sort of the hardest thing to let go of the hardest thing to heal Mm -hmm. because they didn't say it, but they did everything, but say it, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean,
2: it was a lot of unspoken rules. Like people are like, no one even said that directly, but that was a constant pattern. That was a, that was an unwritten rule. So there were things like some things were said explicitly, actually some of the weirdest worst rules were set out loud to teenagers and college students and it was the most bizarre thing ever but a lot of the just known standards were kind of unwritten rules like you just didn't do it or you could see the patterns and then it was just part of this, just the way it is so you were if you grew up in it even the nonverbal things were training you on how to be good how to be a good mm-hmm. disciple so the close the more spiritual you were the, the closer you were to God and the more you were going to heaven. So here's, I think the most damage that this church did was to inspire you with the Bible studies and really look at the Bible on what, um, what God can do and what he did for you and what Mm -hmm. you can have purpose and hope and say the, the way to be saved is to and go to heaven is to get baptized and then after you get baptized for some reason you're constantly going to hell again and this was this was done in a way by telling you that you're putting Jesus on the cross again you're doing yeah. you're going to hell all the time i've never felt so depressed and miserable and unsure of my salvation and self-worth than when i was a disciple in that church and I'm telling you, after oh, when I left, we, oh, Girl, yeah. talk
0: about that. <laughs>
2: you know, and so that's really weird and wrong that you would say, "Here's how you get saved," and then after you're saved, you're constantly have one. You're you're riding this fence of, "Am I saved today?" No, nope. and that's that's why the title. Did you have your quiet time? Because it was down to, did you read your Bible and pray today? Well, then you're not close to God and you're probably going to end up going to hell. And That's why you sin
0: today. That's why you're doing so bad because you didn't do that.
2: Yeah, it's like they didn't even notice that they were falsely talking about salvation equaling not sinning anymore. And when you study their Bible studies and do the count the cost where you decide that you're going to commit you're, you're, you're actually committing to never sinning anymore, which is so unrealistic and not a thing. And And then if you sin, you're, you're getting rebuked. Like you should, you know, like you may not be going to heaven. And I remember as a young person, so there's any young people struggling with this? Like I, as a young person, as a teenager, you got, you got really, um, they were really hard on the young people. And I, I think Mm -hmm. it's because we had that youthful questioning and rebelliousness in us, which is an absolutely age appropriate developmental thing to be. And that's normal. Mm -hmm. We got really punished for being normal human beings at that age in our brain, you know? And I remember being so upset because I would want to do something like go to a movie with friends from school. Like you were not allowed to hang out in with, out other disciples. You basically couldn't go out oh, with friends yeah, from no. school. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: you, they were mad at you for not having visitors. And I'm like, I've been inviting these kids, same kids to church for the past three years. I think they're done. They don't want to come. I have nowhere else to go. I'm in high school, you know, like, where am I going to mm-hmm. go ask people? And so you were criticized for not being able to make any choices. Like you couldn't decide to go to your friend's birthday party and still be saved at the end of it. Like you were going to get pregnant and do drugs 100%. And it's like, no, I'm just going to go to my friend's birthday. And I remember as a young, young person thinking, being so frustrated because I remember feeling like I read the same Bible that you did. And I did the same Bible studies that you did. And I made the same commitment you did. And for some reason I'm not allowed to make my own spiritual decisions You know, and it Mm -hmm. it was so hypocritical and so wrong to not give teens that authority and power to, to learn how to decide spiritual things. So then we're like crippled from making any decisions and Mm -hmm. being in the midst of a time where our faith had to be tested because we just had to avoid it all the time. Mm -hmm. So it was really terrible training.
0: Well, it's easier for, it's easier to be controlled when you're focused on what you're doing Mm -hmm. versus like questioning anything. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easier to control someone when they learn to not trust themselves. Mm -hmm. Because I always had this feeling like as soon as things were good, something was going to, there's something lurking, Mm -hmm. right? like something's going to happen or I'm going to sin and then it's going to happen. I'm like, yep, that's what it was. And then there's all these things you would get with your discipler and he'd be like, well, you didn't do this or you're not doing this or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But I used to think like, I have this image of my head of like a scale, like there's like salvation in heaven and God over on the right. And then it's you on the left and you're constantly trying to get close to God but you're doing all these things that just knock you away from it. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly like this back and forth thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just toxic because you're just focusing on all these outward things, all these works, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that like none of that really was getting you in the way. Right. Like you were, you're, you're there. um. And it, it just is like, it just teaches you all this stuff teaches you not to question, like you said, to just toe the line to walk it. And then, you know, it's like, nah, you just got to trust the process. And if it confuses you, you need to double down or talk to someone else or read the Bible harder. You'll find it. You'll find the answer to understand.
2: Yeah. And that's, the Bible is full of, if if they're like claiming to be the most biblical church, mm-hmm. the Bible is full of people questioning and mm-hmm. arguing and even disagreeing with God and Jesus. And mm-hmm. Paul, who Kip was obsessed with to a level of that, can we talk about? Some oh, of he
0: loved Paul.
2: Okay. I, maybe that's why to this day, I, I also, it's really interesting to hear ICOC kids, where do you like what do you feel now about the, but do you have any, like, I've tried to make my peace with faith and with the Bible, but there's certain scriptures or certain words that I just, I don't know if I'll ever be able to, I almost have to like delete them out of the Bible, which I know is like a huge sin in our church. You can never not take the entire Bible, but the obsession with Paul, Paul was, Paul did not agree at first. He was like, killing Christians. And yet Mm -hmm. he's praised. He was so praised in our church. I think a little more than Jesus. Honestly, Paul was like the superstar from the pulpit. He brought
0: brought the ministry to so many other people. It was, it was, that's why he, he is, he was the, yeah, we talked about
2: was more obsessed with Paul than Jesus. And I'm Mm -hmm. just going to say it because Paul did all the crazy, like he did a lot of, he said a lot of black or white, like he said a mm-hmm. lot of really revolutionary things and he was all about evangelism. It yeah. was all about evangelism. Now I know, mm-hmm. I know in the Bible, Jesus says that, but his, his OGs, his main group was like, knew him a lot, lot more than Paul did mm-hmm. and they were doing their thing as well. And so it's like, but Paul got the most attention from Kip. Therefore, the church was led that way, whatever, whatever yeah. Kip mm-hmm. was into is, is the standard for the church, because that's what happens when you have a leader, mm-hmm. they're going to lead, you know? Yeah, and I mean,
0: That's interesting that you say that because a lot of the people that I noticed that were like leaders were a lot like hit that personality. They had well, that I mean, sort that, of like that this little is the cookie
2: cutter thing you had, yeah. to, this is cookie cutter thing. You were praised if you were a certain type of way. Oh, and yeah. if you wanted to be in the in leadership or in the ministry, you better start acting, you better change your personality mm-hmm. and act that way. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times I got asked, where is your zeal, sis? If I, Ugh, zeal. Where's, your zeal? where's your zeal? I, I will die if I like, if so, the word zeal is an absolute trigger mm. because I was never yeah. clapping hard enough or smiling big enough. Cause I, it was, is I don't know. I wasn't that expressive. I was kind of shy and I also was mad all the time and I didn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I I,
0: gotta, I got to, yeah, yeah. Where's my I got zeal? to hide a lot. Yeah. Where's your zeal? I think like you mentioned it about how the Bible is full of people that were questioning. And I think about Jesus a lot because like, if you look at the imagery he used, if you look at the people he chose, it was never the people that you expect him to choose. No. You know, the imagery, like I was like, if you think about, I'm going to use a Bible script, you know, some chapters to just calm down. I don't want you to freak out because I'm using the Bible here. But if you look at Luke 15, for instance, Mm -hmm. That He uses a lost, he uses a woman with a coin, the lost coin. He has the shepherd with the lost sheep, and then he has the prodigal son story. What's so cool about that to me is, for example, a shepherd back then, from what I'm reading and researching, was not a valued profession. They were not trusted. It was a dirty profession. Mm. So that would have been like, why are you using a shepherd? Then you have a woman, he's using a parable where a woman is in the lead, a woman is the is the image. And for of course, back then they were y'all were second class. Mm-hmm. So that is not that would probably anger people. And then you have this son, this father who welcomes back a disgraceful, wasteful son, which would, in course, anger so many people because a pious and follower at that time would not that would be like no he does not deserve to be back in the family and so yes. like you're reading these passages where you're you're shown that that's different we can even talk about the tax collector Zacchaeus like that he you welcomes like that person
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: and so you're reading this but then when you see it in practice it's all who you think it's supposed to it's all like what the the quote unquote world i hate that you you know I hate to say that but like what what they think is good mm-hmm. you know yeah nice yeah. white i'm not not they were mostly white so i'll no, say you're that right. But, you're right yeah. you're
2: right i think that's something nice. that needs to be said about our church is that it was it branched off from white christian america mm-hmm. and the grown-ups at the time their parents like mm-hmm. so the the generation that started the ICOC were boomers. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they are dealing with wounds from their generation's childhood of their mm-hmm. parents who were madmen. That if, if you watch mad men, this is what the leaders childhood was like. Okay. So you can have a little sympathy for them because, Oh my yeah. goodness. Okay. So like, this is the generation that raised them. And so, um, every generation is reacting to their parents' shortcomings and their Mm -hmm. parents' things that they don't agree with, and they're going to rebel against it. And yet we're all, they're all wounded by something in their parents' generation. And yet, and so, you know, the leaders of the ICOC came from like, a lot of them came from white Christian America, and there's no way that's not going to influence what their idea of structure, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's, something that I think needs to be said is that our church was, was so, um, intense and caused a lot of damage, but, but it was also, it it wasn't, there's some parts of it that weren't that weird. And that kind of gives me comfort when I, when Mm -hmm. I left and I had to, I realized that there's other churches that are that are weird or other other systems that are just as controlling. Something about not being the only one gave me a lot of comfort. It was just a different flavor, you know, like a different, yeah. like every every powerful system is gonna control and do damage. So we mm-hmm. weren't so weird in that sense. We're definitely weird, but we're like, there's other examples of this thing happening. And mm-hmm. um, in Christianity in general, in America, it's a Westernized version. That is Mm -hmm. very, um, it's, it's a culture sometimes a lot more than it is the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so I think our church became its own culture. I think it started off with great intentions, but it had the influence of the church in the fifties, sixties, which I mean, just read one book at all history. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. That's a whole political system in itself. The white Christian Mm -hmm. churches ruled the country, rule the country. So Mm -hmm. like you have that and then so our parents generation was trying to rebel in some ways but then you also fall back so i know for me like growing up in the icoc and then leaving and then i and then i become a mom and i have kids and i'm like a deer in headlights because i'm like how do i raise kids any other way you have no other reference than the way that you were raised and i think that that goes for every parent you have no other reference than your own childhood and the things that you never want to do to your kids you don't know what you have to make it up you just have to try your best and so it's really hard as a parent because you're like do I go back to church now (laughs) what do I do with these kids how do I help them to be you know Mm -hmm. I remember this one time too in therapy because if I know you like if you're an ICOC kid and you haven't gone to therapy yet, honey, you are overdue and it's time to go. It's you have to to.
0: everything that I've ever talked about in therapy. The roots of it are from church. So everybody should, we, you need to talk about it.
2: You do. It's shaped you. It shaped your Mm -hmm. first like images of yourself. I feel like I really don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you this because I think you grew up just almost just as long as I did. And so there's other kids that came in later, like mm-hmm. other people came into the church as adults or mm-hmm. they came in in college and then they had a whole family in life before the church. We had no, nothing else. We only yeah. had the church. And so I've questioned my, my own self-image and sense of self. Is there, do I have, I have nothing else to pull from except for, that. And so maybe the work as an adult was really late feeling and really hard to develop a sense of who am I without the church's voice in my head. And like I said, I'm really grateful for my family because wow. I was fortunate to have a really close family and we had our own family unit, you know, but um I think I had to figure that out later than maybe a lot of people, maybe a lot of people had a sense of self before they came to the church, but we I didn't. Didn-
0: I didn't really start to figure out who I am until I left Atlanta.
2: Oh, I figured myself um, in Atlanta. Just so you-
0: <laughs> I I yeah. <laughs> well, I mean you left you left LA to go to Atlanta. So you like I move, L- yeah. I, I left the church um finally mm-hmm. and I met who's my wife at the time mm-hmm. and she's from Virginia Beach. So she She's a chiropractor. She was going to school down there to be a chiropractor. She wanted to, to have a, this is long story short. She wanted to come back and bring it here. So I was like this, great, let's go. So I moved here and I left everything that I knew. Mm-hmm. And then I got to sort of, I mean, I really like built my identity here. I mean, I, I kind of was always the person that was like, I'm kind of going to do, I'm going to act kind of act the way I want to act a little bit. I wasn't going to be quote unquote bad, but I mean, I'm going to wear, I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to be that person. I'm going to go to stuff, but yeah, I really had to to figure out who I was without a church because we had everything we needed. We had a community, we had friends, we had resources and When you walk away from it, you're walking away from everything and you realize how hard it is one to have friends because we were forced to be around everybody. Mm -hmm. You also, it's like, you're saying, how am I going to raise my kid? I have a kid now. I don't know what I want. I don't do. I, you know, we're struggling with We're thinking about that too. Do I want to take my kid to church? Do I want to, what, I don't know what to do. Yeah. you know before we would have elders we would have older people we had people just like us mm-hmm. um so you don't know how to do that and you're also just like you feel alone a lot because you know you have your own life and your own responsibilities and you're not like forced into this like community to like be around all the time yeah it's fucking challenging and it sucks oh, and it death. i there there were times that it broke my heart because Mm -hmm. you just realize how this is going to sound hard, how alone you kind of are.
2: Oh my gosh. When the fact that it was such, it's, it was a very powerful movement. I will say for Mm -hmm. it, we, we talk about how it was so messed up, but I don't think people understand outside of it, how powerful it was, how big it was. Mm -hmm. Like you're in a convention center in LA that is filled up Mm -hmm. with, Thousands of people. I was a young person. I was like a teenager. I remember doing these little performances in the San Francisco church for like the Christmas show or whatever. And I was performing at four years old in front of a thousand people, like the amount of people. I don't think people understand that. They think, Oh, it's a little church. That's weird and controlling. No, this was like thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And, yet you could go anywhere in the world and meet another fellow disciple and instantly have a trust, a closeness, a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And so
2: that connection cannot be matched. And I think we feel very alone and I can see why this people join groups Mm
0: -hmm. because
2: it's not the ICOC, it's just being a human that Mm -hmm. makes you want connection and community and being told you're okay. You're doing the right thing. You're good. And people will find that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People will find that and they'll find other versions of it. And we happen Mm -hmm. to grow up in that version of it. And it's like, it comforts me to know it's not that different. It's just part of the human experience is to want to find belonging. And Mm -hmm. as a ministry kid, you move around all the time and you do not have a hometown people, my friends and you know, that are like, Oh, I grew up here and my family still lives there. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's like. I don't have a hometown, but for us, our, the church was our hometown. Yeah. We Mm -hmm. spoke the same language. We all grew up in the same way. So you So I look at, I've realized that my hometown is actually the ICOC. So it's the same thing. You don't want to run into them in the grocery store. You keep, but you spy on them on Facebook though. Like still, you know, and you, it's just like you would do in a little hometown, but it's a huge massive, massive, crazy church. It's the same.
0: It is the same. You want to hear a crazy number. So. I've been like trying to like I've been trying to figure out because you want to know how many people were a part of this. And there's somebody I don't know if it was in in one of the papers that I've researched and downloaded or printed out. But it, I think 700,000 people have come and gone in the, the pretty- ICOC.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, Because you
0: have to think. So think about this, for instance, in like in like. I think this was nineteen ninety eight or two thousand, right before the letter. The top ten churches in the ICOC had a collective attendance of a hundred thousand. Wow! On a Sunday, on a Sunday, so like a collective attendance on a Sunday of a hundred thousand. Yeah. So like, and yeah. that's not that's just the top ten. That's mm-hmm. not the you know Des Moines. You know, yeah. the Des Moines Church of yeah. Christ or
1: the, the uh, Abu Dhabi Church
0: of Christ. Right. You right. know, and so we were, we were, we, there's, there, it was big, but nobody knows about it. Isn't that hilarious?
2: Well, they know now because it's they, on a lot of news bits where, Ooh, the lawsuits. We are getting some attention. Although, isn't it so nice to be, to know this chapter of, uh, news and attention is happening when you're not in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's so great. It's "It's not
2: me. I don't need to associate the panic. So we have been, we have been in the news throughout the years. I'll never forget in high school when we were featured on 2020.
1: Mm -hmm. I remember remember that.
2: that. Mm-hmm. I and this was before like internet social media all that I mean it there was some internet but it was like not social media really going on yet kind yeah. of barely almost
1: uh-huh.
2: um, and so this was all news and everything so this was a 2020 it was like a legit channel featuring us and um they were in LA so they featured the behind the scenes um footage of them doing a Bible study, like a sin study. Mm -hmm. Oh, they picked the sin study too. That was a rough one. So, um, the sins, oh my gosh, the constant talking about sins and weird sins that no one was committing like bestiality. The amount of times I was told as a 12 year old about bestiality, I thought it was rampant among my elementary school. Like, is this a thing that I need to be careful about? I cannot hear someone else's dad that I know that I go play at their house talk about bestiality. Okay. So anyway. So they featured him on 2020. And this was like people we knew in LA that were in the behind the scenes like footage and stuff. And I remember going to school the next day, terrified, just dying of dread that all my everyone would have watched it and now they're gonna they know it's me. Nobody cared. None of my no high school kid watched it. Yeah. Their parents probably did but i remember going i remember as a young person like waiting to hear what kip would say and whatever he said was was how we were going to feel okay about it and how we were going to make peace with it
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um and he was truly like a source of leadership and direction mm-hmm. and everything he said was the most spiritual interpretation of it and i believe that growing up he was the end all decision maker and um I don't know. That's what you're trained to think of him as. But what's yeah, really I... now is being a grown up, and that was a kid saying, and I was a kid, like a mm-hmm. young person. So you really do idolize people. And now, as a grown up, I'm like, he's just a guy. He's a dad, and mm-hmm. I did got to, I did get to see him as a dad a lot, and he's really he was a really sweet, dorky dad. Um, I well. I don't know how he was to his kids. Actually. I can't speak to that, but I do know that he was very dad like to me at times Mm -hmm. and was super sweet. And so it's weird. I like saw the human side. And then I know there's a very different, uh, you know, leader of a movement side that has done a lot of damage. So it's really hard. I'm not defending him, but I also got to see the other side. But I think the thing that if anyone's struggling with like, the control everyone's just a human they're just a person they are not they don't have as much power as as you felt like they did so you're safe now like that's kind of what i would want to tell my younger self is like it feels like they have all this power and they're in control but they actually don't and like you're okay
0: yeah there's there's a couple a couple things i wanted to say that i i have a vivid memory of getting into the car after Kip McKean came to visit and spoke at Atlanta and mm-hmm. telling my dad that I wanted to be baptized by Kip McKean.
2: <laughs> then you're, you know, then you're going to go straight to heaven. You're going to go straight. Yep, from I was
0: like, that was it. The
2: heaven. Yep, yeah.
0: I was going to do it. Um, But I think what really, I think the biggest saving grace for me was when I was able to sort of disassociate with the fact that like God was doing this and mm-hmm. that it was people that were doing this.
2: Yes. Yes. That is the biggest breakthrough in therapy that you can have mm -hmm, about this. Because
0: I started to think like, you think like it's all God, this is all Christianity. This is all what the Bible is. And then like, at some point I'm just like, no, that's not what this was. This Mm -hmm. was just people doing things that were great intentions in the beginning, but was not I mean, it turned into something incredibly toxic because people like power and people well, like and control. something
2: that gets that big and that powerful cannot possibly not have issues. Yeah. Any a little startup company that grows into something big will absolutely have financial and controlling aspects of it. So and a church yeah. will do that as well. so it's it's actually a pretty normal thing to grow into a, a problem, yeah. but, you know, sadly in that people are then abused by the problem, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so it's a normal chain of events because nothing can, can resist that level of how big this church was and the amount of money coming in. There was no mm-hmm. way that it couldn't get to some people's heads, but what you described as separating people from God. I think that's probably the biggest thing you can do the biggest work you can do coming out of this as a kingdom kid or as a member who was really like influenced and hurt by it, because that was probably the biggest breakthrough. I remember verbalizing how upset and frustrated I was that I couldn't separate the people from God. And I left all of it Mm -hmm. Um, for years. Like in Atlanta, I didn't, I couldn't pray. I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't do anything. It was all, it was, I couldn't separate it. It -hmm. wasn't until later that I tried to do work to do that. And even then you feel you feel sad that like your version of God maybe was a lie or not real. And then you have to make your peace with, then you have to re like define, you have to find God all over again. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remember crying. I remember like crying one time because I was like, all right, what if, what if I did? And I wasn't going to church at all. Nothing. I was like, what if I did really want to go to church and i can't because i can't not hear the voice i can't not hear the icoc's version of church like mm-hmm. you could go into another church and completely criticize everything they're doing because the icoc taught you that you were the only right way so you could go into another church mm-hmm. and like think that they're doing it wrong and still i find myself having these like reflex thoughts like that i don't really believe those thoughts but i have them they they go through my head because Mm -hmm. you're trained to think that way. And so I remember crying and just being like, what if I wanted to go to church? And I, I can't, I I feel like it was taken from me, just the ability to just be joyful and go because I, I, everything now has this whole voice over it. And I had to really work on that too. Like anything you feel that is never gonna end it will it will end like you'll you'll separate the voices and the voices will get a Mm -hmm. lot quieter um the fact that we're talking about that we have voices in our heads like that's pretty concerning and that's the power (laughs) of control that's the controlling part and so i think like it'll go away but it's okay to admit that it's okay to face it and, and know that it they'll fade like the voices will fade and you can practice whatever you want to practice or not. And the, vo- mm-hmm. and when you're not practicing, when you're not going to church, when those voices are pretty loud too.
0: It's funny how, yeah, they, they never stop. I, I, um I had, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I got thrust into contemporary Christian culture after I left the ICOC because of a job that I picked oh. and I got, I got, sent on, it was a coffee company that I worked for that marketed specifically to churches, um, as like a coffee, a coffee subscription (laughs) thing. Yeah. It's a long, I mean, it was, it's pretty, it was a pretty, it's a great company, great coffee, cool coffee shop. But like, we would, like, I would, I would help people set up their coffee ministries in the morning at all these like mega churches in Atlanta, um, like North, like North point. Like North Point uh, Christian Church, where Andy Stanley is the leader, uh, they were a big uh, supporter of us. Um, passion, Louis Giglio's church,
2: okay. yeah, I've heard of that. And I don't even, I'm not even in that scene, and I've heard of that.
0: Yeah, so we, I, I've been to a couple of theirs. I helped set up theirs. And then we like did their passion conferences. We set up, we would set up coffee shops and like in there and like serve coffee to kids. And so then I would did another thing where I got to go to music, Christian music festivals to help market this. So I would, I would go all over America, like serving That's coffee amazing. to Christians at Christian music festivals. So then I see like.
2: Christians love their coffee. Oh, they my do.
0: gosh. It's the, Oh, my gosh. Coffee. They love it. It's it's the bars for Christians. Coffee <laughs> shops
1: are. It is. Oh, but yeah. But
0: like I got. So instead of like, like what you're saying, like I got to see that all churches are the same. A lot of churches are the same.
1: Mm -hmm. but it's
0: hard to still like I mean I did the whole thing of like yeah this is why you're wrong oh my god that's why you're wrong oh my gosh
2: you can analyze the whole service and why why it's bad it's bad
0: sometimes my wife has to because there's a church that we we go to out here to kind of because we're both like we don't want to be the only one that teaches our kid Mm-hmm. right and we want to have a, f- a foundation for him because i think it's easier for kids that have a foundation in something to sort of find their jumping off points yeah. with mm-hmm. like spirituality than to like try to figure it out as an adult from yeah. ground zero
2: i tell them it's but, okay to critically think about it it's okay to, yeah. to have questions and yeah like you can decide later but it's a it's uh-huh. a journey
0: but like whenever she asked, so what'd you think? It's like, I really have to choose my words because it's like, oh no, I can pick apart from start to finish. I could tell you, but then I have to like shut that part of my brain off,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and just, is and your just wife, a-
2: wait, did you say your wife was a member of the ICOC or no. not? Nope.
0: she. Wasn't. Okay. See,
2: this is huge for ICOC kids. Do we mm-hmm. end up with members or ex members or do we end up with significant others that have no affiliation because um i know that a lot of people over the years will meet up again and mm-hmm. try with each other mm-hmm. from the icoc because one first of all you can cuz you're grown and you can do what you want and there's not going to be a team leader asking yeah. you about <laughs> your purity and second <laughs> because
1: <laughs> don't say purity <laughs>
2: No. you don't have to answer about your purity to no one no more yeah. and mm-hmm. then I' uh, also and then you realize that is a bad idea because you both are the same crazy and you're gonna just perpetuate the ICOC crazy in your own households yeah but maybe some people made it work as both ex-members that's fascinating I'm so fascinated by the psychology of our our like you said same scars can you make a life or will you just create the ICOC in your own house? Cause you both are trained the same or examples
0: for all of it in my life. Oh
2: my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to know. Cause the, the non ICOC significant other is absolutely a source of, comfort and a safe landing because they Maybe. validate you constantly they validate you by saying that's weird and that's horrible that that happened and you're like thank you i thought it was bad and they're like and they validate you they also can't understand and they sometimes are scared of you for the mm-hmm. things you say and your reactions so you Bye. just need a good icoc friend a mm-hmm. friend of mine she went to a wedding It was her family's friend's wedding. I forgot what wedding it was that she had to show up, but she'd been out for a long time Mm -hmm. and this was a full ICOC wedding. Oh gosh. We could have a whole podcast episode about the weddings alone in our church.
0: Um, I'm going to speak on it when you're done, but go ahead.
2: So she went to a wedding and she had her significant other with her and the significant other was texting or sending, they were texting me and someone else that were really close to them. And we were trying to translate our friend's traumatic reactions to this wedding and explain to her significant other why she was acting the way she was acting. And because the person who never went oh to the ICO was like, why is she having a panic attack right now? And we're like, this is why this is just actually just uh. ignore everything she says. So you need people in your life that are from the ICOC to translate your behavior to yeah. your partner, so that your partner cannot be totally scared of you and just wait till you're done being so.
0: Triggered. Oh, I'm so glad that you mentioned weddings because <laughs> so. Um, a I'm really glad that my wife was not a member of this. I met my wife a month after I left.
2: Wow. That was fast. Look at you. That was fast. Yeah.
0: she. I bet, like,
2: they I, I bet they wouldn't even let you date your interest and then you leave and immediately meet a wife.
0: Yeah, it was, it was the best because I think that if, I mean, you talk about like, I, if I had stayed in Atlanta, not met my wife, I probably would have ended up with an ICOC person.
2: There's comfort you, in that because there's, pretty, there's oh, comfort.
0: Yeah. It's easy. you know, whatever. And it would have been a mm-hmm. fine life.
2: Yeah. But, but I met my wife. Yeah. We can. Yeah. Well,
0: I met her and my <laughs> wife is the type of person. that's all about healing and growth, self-discovery oh. therapy, all of that. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. She, she has, she is one of the, she was a saving grace for me in so many ways. So, but I was living with a friend of mine that was still a part of the church that I'm still close with today. And he was getting married and then we would all hang out. They were still at the church. And then she got close with his fiance. She was asked to be in the wedding and I was in the wedding as well. So here we are this like weird couple. And like my friend is he, you know, he's, he was in it, but it was different because like I mean, it's a long story. It has to do with like because as Atlanta, the church, like the umbrella of the ICOC faded, we all had the pocket churches, yeah. you know, and where are my parents landed and these people and it was it was a great church, whatever don't Anyway, get,
2: don't you get kind of jealous of people that got to have life experiences without the control that we had? God, like don't I just, you get a little bit jealous that people get to just live their lives now and also have so a great church experience? like how dare you?
0: I know. <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> that is uh, pain.
2: That's hurt right there. Okay, so you got to be in an ICOC wedding as a fall away with a non-disciple wife. Look at you guys. Yeah. Hell we, yes. and
0: so and then here's what here's what was so funny about it because that wasn't the first wedding that she had gone to that was a like ICOC wedding because my best friend got married and then we I was in his wedding and then my wife came. Uh, and then there was another one that I was friends with. So she was kind of used to it, this. We were in it, right? But you would go to these like showers, and they would always have the sharing session.
2: Oh, the sharing! Oh, God, you did not and, the sharing. And I
0: it remember, would always so be sorry. like the girls would get up and be like, "Oh my God, I'm just so proud that you yeah. did it the right way, that you saved yourselves, and I know that God is going to bless you." because of that and then i'm sitting here thinking and i know my wife has thought about she was like god this sucks because i mean we didn't save ourselves today (laughs) and here we are at a wedding Sorry. But anyway, it's just so like, what the, what in the world?
2: I feel like you should have been there with your wife as, as support to walk her. Like, okay, they're going to do some sharing right now. And I need you just to not really take to heart, just ignore it. Just ignore everything you're about to hear. I guess I
0: just didn't know I, I had forgotten or I just had blocked it out or something, but it was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. And also incredibly like. Like I was laughing about it and also like, oh my God, this sucks, you know, to be like not a part of this and listen to all these people be like, no, our way was the right way. And I'm like, why is your way the right way anymore? Cause we have a great relationship.
2: Yeah. That's very you know, common to your little ICOC brain is when you have some great relationships that maybe aren't the cookie cutter versions of what you were told. And you're like, wait, why is this working though? And then you do your critical thinking and then you're like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: well, maybe I can make my own decisions. You know, that's pretty, that's yeah. pretty profound for us I, Kingdom kids.
0: I do need to say that at our, our rehearsal, after our rehearsal, uh, we all came back to our house and uh, we did have a sharing session.
3: You did personally?
0: We did, but it wasn't like that. It was just like, because I think, so there's things that I take from the ICOC. For example, like voicing your gratitude publicly to people is a very powerful thing
2: that is very and and it's done in more ways than just yeah you can do a toast yeah. you can do that so is that, very very encouraging yes
0: and yeah. that's what i wanted for us because we yeah. had really close friends and i wanted to have a time for all of us to talk about that i didn't want to mm-hmm. sit here and talk about how like the fact that we had a purity pillow between us the whole time and we've we've only held hands
2: hearing that at the shower stop
0: No, not that one, but I've been to ones where they talked about that. I've been to ones where, or you go to church and there's engagement announcements and people get a standing ovation because, you know, they hadn't kissed yet and they're saving their first kiss for marriage. And
2: yeah, I've, I've got a a post about that on the, did you have your quiet time? Because, oh my God, I
0: hated that Mm -hmm. or the constant talk about our purity and. Anyway,
2: I don't need to know your sex lives. Nobody wants to know this information. We were given so much unwarranted information. We didn't want to know most of the things that we were told as children. We did not want to know that.
0: So I do. I want to talk about being a female in church. This is kind of my lead in because we can start with purity because I'm just going to. Because like as guys, we would get in circles and talk about our purity. And you would have to talk about that publicly in a group did you have to talk about that as girls i mean was it the same i don't know like it's
2: yeah it, it, it was you know, okay. this is a whole yeah i, I or was it. it
0: all about the clothes that you wore i don't know
2: Both, both okay
0: mm-hmm.
2: can this be the part where we pause it so I yeah can okay. for one second and then you can edit it out
0: <laughs> yeah and we're back okay. <laughs> 40 minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before
2: all the names in the breaks. I know. She asked me what it was like to be a woman in the church and oh, do you have another three hours? Because that's I was gonna I was thinking about this a lot before this started. Is that the things the the things I've laughed the hardest about like cry, Mm -hmm. laughing, silent, laughing are the, um, rebukes and accusations made towards women about our clothes, about our intentions, about our bodies. But those were the deepest wounds of the church. Mm -hmm. So I think like I've sat around with friends or, you know, what's what's non-biological but family at this point that you have in the ICOC because you grew up with these people and some people stick and they're like family and we've been dying laughing over some of the um you know it, accusations and discipling we've received about our clothes or about our intentions and but truly to be but the theme of what it was like to be a woman in the church was probably the worst. Like that was the worst part of it, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think way later I've made my peace with it. And now I'm, I'm, um, I have daughters. And so I'm, my poor daughters who are going to mm-hmm. have a mom who's pretty gung-ho about their self-worth and value, which is funny because I'm going to fight really hard for them to have it. And they'll probably end up resenting me for the way that I pushed them to be (laughs) the opposite of Mm -hmm. what I have. It's funny how it works that way.
1: (laughs) Um, I
2: think to be a woman in the church was from a very young age to feel absolute shame about yourself. Um my most, my, you know, as a kid in the church, as a little kid, you're, you're, you got all, you have all the cute songs and you're in Sunday school and it's, and they did a good job. It's pretty basic, but you did learn about pretty dark, deep things like hell at Mm -hmm. a young age, when your brain is so literal, you're really not quite sure how to make sense of it. And so I remember thinking of God, my picture of God is like a man with a a beard and long gray hair, like a white beard and long gray hair. Always
0: a beard. It's always yeah. a
2: beard. <laughs> it's wisdom, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then I remember my always, you know, the teaching about heaven. My mom and I would have our own little devotionals, which was a lot more special and intimate, but talked about your you have there's a scripture that talks about you God is um creating a room for you in heaven, a room. And yeah. so as a kid, that's so literal. You don't really know abstract at that time in your brain. So it's mm-hmm. so literal. So we would, but it was comforting sometimes because you could just plan anything you wanted in your room. And heaven was so good that it could be all the amazing things. So for me, that meant unicorns, you know, <laughs> and things that were like My dog that died, she's definitely in my room. I am a grown woman. And Mm -hmm. if there's a heaven and there's a room for me, my dog's certainly going to be there. So you carry those literal ideas with you. As a kid, it was very kind of magical up in the sky. But I remember having my own deep love for God. Like I I would find these letters and journals that I wrote as a little kid, and I would write letters to God and say how much I loved God. So as, a, mm. as an older person reading that, I could I think that as a kid, I had a real connection and a real faith of my own with God, but I was mm. also imitating. I really wanted to be good, and I really didn't want to get in trouble, and I really wanted to be to do what was right. And so if I was told that was right, I think I was really excited to follow that, and I just wanted to be good. Yeah. So then later, when you're going through normal, natural development, and you're a teen, um a teenager, you're already developmentally struggling with the changes in your body. Mm-hmm. You're hyper aware of social coolness situations. And on top of that, you're getting rebuked at, at church left and right for being worldly sinful. And the worst part was the dress code. Mm -hmm. I think we laugh about the dress code, but the dress code was a catalyst to do so much damage. And so as a, as a young woman, from the moment your body became a woman's body, you were told that it was bad. And every, and I think people older than us would argue, no, we didn't, we didn't tell you it was bad. Yes, you did. Because we had to cover it up. Mm -hmm. We had a stranger who we'd never talked to at church had the authority to come up to us and tell us that their that our outfit was making them struggle super creepy if it was a man telling you that or a woman telling you mm-hmm. that your outfit was making grown men struggle so you were taught they I don't I don't know if they understood that what they were grooming us was to, under, to think that our bodies were responsible, our underage bodies were responsible mm. for making grown dads and older men feel sexually turned on. And that was our responsibility. And that is 100% what the ICOC did. And mm-hmm. I don't care who your mom or dad is. I don't care how great your family is. If somebody discipled you on your dress, on what you were wearing, that Mm -hmm. is what they were doing. And I, I'm very angry about that. And I think I will not worry about people's feelings about that part of it, because that was really, really terrible to do Mm -hmm. to young women to make, and, and mind you, most of the people they were discipling were already hyper-conscious Of being conservative, because if you were raised in it, you already knew you're not even allowed to wear a two piece bathing suit. You're not even allowed to wear shorts that were super short. You were already hyper aware of your body and hiding it, hiding it. Mm And I'm I'm not exaggerating, literally hiding your body. So if you showed up to church already trying to hide your body and then you would still get discipled. That was just your own body that was wrong at that point. Cause you couldn't, you would, you couldn't, you would just have to wear like a paper bag. Mm-hmm. I think the women that had more bo- that had body that had, were attractive, got mm-hmm. really, really picked on. Um, I moved from, I grew up mostly in California. So I was around a lot of the epicenter of KIPP and the main if there was a new rule or a new standard in the church, it usually stemmed first from where he was. And then it got trickled into the other churches as the new standard. So usually those standards started in the young ministries with teenagers and college students. And there were things like, you can't go to your own prom. You can't go to your school prom anymore. The church now provides a prom and you can't go to your own prom because that's too much of a struggle and there's too much sin there. So you shouldn't participate in it. So I don't know about Atlanta, but in LA, it got to a point where we were not allowed to go to our proms. Now, as, we... a, true, as a true kingdom kid, I wow. manipulated the system and ended up going to my prom with five other disciple teenagers. And we went and we had a great time. And guess what? Nobody got pregnant. Nobody did drugs. Surprise, surprise. Um, but, and, and I got in trouble because I manipulated the system to get the, okay. Cause you had to get advice, yeah. mm-hmm. but advice meant permission. God. And I did a thing. Eh, I don't know if you're a kingdom kid, you know, how it works. You just do, you just figure out who to ask, who says yes. And then you're like, I got advice. And then, and then you're already bought the ticket. So there's no going back now. And then everybody got to go to prom and I will never apologize for that manipulation skill
0: yeah I got lucky I got lucky because I quit after the after I couldn't after I couldn't cry at the cross study I realized that I was really tired of trying to be a disciple so I quit my right before my senior year so I got to go to my I went to my prom whatever and um it was fine but uh yeah
2: not that big a deal
0: I mean there you know I had I had my own fun but uh Yeah, I I remember like I was a teen. I remember being a teen worker, and we did a lock-in after prom. I remember like uh, kids would come, kids came after prom to someone's house, and we did like an overnight hangout Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I know that I hear of I hear of like other proms in certain churches, but yeah, that that was a that's (laughs) that's unfortunate.
2: Yeah. The LA church got pretty strict and they started, well, they also started spending a lot of money and providing this mm. true, like huge prom, like even better than the high school proms, just really extravagant. And so it was amazing and it was really fun, but to then put the rule that you couldn't go to your school prom. Cause we gave you this is so weird. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I went anyway, but there was just so much like rebuking before things actually happened and so much shaming your body and and what you're going to make other people do. And then, so you actually went into your adult life thinking that you really taking responsibility for everyone else's actions and learning way later in life that you actually are not responsible for another person's choices and reactions. And I think that's a really devastating thing to send young people into Mm -hmm. the world, not having that skill. And we, a lot of us had some pretty, probably bad experiences because we didn't know enough. We didn't realize that we were not actually responsible for other people's actions or decisions because we were told that we were. Mm -hmm. And That's kind of dangerous to send women out into the world like that. And I think that's also, um, that's a pretty normal American culture thing, but the church really emphasized that and used Mm -hmm. salvation Mm -hmm. as a catalyst for that, which is so wrong, so wrong, you know? And I think what's so crazy is that Jesus in the Bible, at least he Every time he encountered a woman, he actually defended her Mm -hmm. and lifted her up. And the church kind of copied that the Pharisees like attacking her and blaming her. And they didn't even maybe realize they were doing that or they did because some of the, I mean, how many times did you hear that one of the evangelists, has a problem and now has to step down cuz he's been on his computer too much like and yet the women are responsible <clears> for <throat> men's sin you know i think it's just really messed up how young women were yeah. told to think about their bodies when they were literally just coming into their bodies and everybody got weird they they tried to accuse us of a lot of things that we couldn't even think of ourselves Mm -hmm. I've been, I had been, I was questioned, like we were questioned in devotionals and I think the worst purity talks I ever had were on hope youth Corps trips. These were missionary mission trips to other countries where you're working Mm -hmm. with like orphans and, you know, poverty and you're building, you know, clinics and you're holding orphans. And yet they would bring us together at the end of the day and have the most graphic, hardcore purity devotionals so that we wouldn't just spend the whole trip hooking up. Like, I'm sorry, after I hold an AIDS baby in Africa, I'm not really feeling like hooking up with somebody. I think I'm just thinking about the orphans.
0: It's like, you know, what really turns me on poverty and AIDS.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I'm going to do right after this? I'm going to make, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get down with some 12 year olds, some 14 year olds on this trip. Like, no, I'm really worried about the AIDS orphans, is what I'm thinking about. And yet, we would go straight from that to a hardcore purity devotional where these grown people in their 20s and sometimes 30s would Mm -hmm. describe graphic like scenarios and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And disciple us not to do those things. And I'm, I was literally sitting there looking up at the ceiling, like what? I never even thought of that before. You just introduced that to me yourself. Yeah, thanks for
0: putting that in my brain. Now that's so never going to go away.
2: Yeah. So the more they talked about purity and sex, the more we thought about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like we were just fine. We were just hanging out and then everyone made it sexual.
0: <laughs> like, God, they did so hard.
2: And I remember being on this this youth corps trip in Jamaica, and it's Jamaica; it's an island. So of course we had a beach day, and what did we have to do? Wear our shirts and wear our shorts. But the guys got to be shirtless with really just suits on. Yeah, some of them got to. I think maybe they had a tank top. But mm-hmm. what happens? To, so let me ask you this: What happens to a t-shirt when you get it wet? Oh, there's
0: do? there are thousands of movies that. Yeah. show exactly yeah. what happens
2: it's the essence of turn-ons really is a wet t-shirt yeah. mm-hmm. well that's what they ended up doing for all of us was make us ashamed and scared and have to hide our bodies and then they would dunk us and then we'd have to go Then we go in the water and then have a wet t-shirt clinging to our whole body emphasizing every single inch of it which was horrifying to us and i remember feeling just so exposed when i would have felt better with just a bathing suit on
0: yeah. It like over-sexualizes it, everything.
2: It did. And so you have no self-esteem as a woman, because you're basically trained to think that your body is bad. So then let's say you try to leave
1: mm-hmm.
3: and you
2: don't leave with any sense of protection or self-worth. You actually leave with low self-esteem, which is really dangerous because then you go out into the world with really no sense of standards, and mm-hmm. how to stand up for yourself in situations where you might actually really need to stand up for yourself. Um, and if you don't have worth, a feeling of worth about yourself or your body, why would you expect someone else to treat your body with respect mm-hmm. or worth? And so I think a lot of women in the ICOC who maybe left probably were in some pretty sticky situations. And yeah, we ha- and we had to learn that skill later when we sh- we should have been taught a lot more value about ourselves
0: man i th- i think about like if i were to say to my wife yeah 13 year old girl phew, she's looking pretty something in that outfit like she would be like what the f-? like she would be like you yeah you need to leave. There would be, there would be a significant conversation that would not include my wife walking over yeah. to that, to that girl. Like that's, that's where, m-
2: the, yeah, that's where the church crossed over into some mm-hmm. alarming behaviors because women who were really in the system as well were perpetuating this shame. Like I got my most shameful rebukes,
3: yeah. women,
2: mm-hmm. not men. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what their issue and they were older than me and they didn't grow up in the church. So they, and I remember one of them just really, I already knew it's like, I didn't have the words for it, but I probably understood more than I realized. Cause I, I just watched her and I could tell she had, she had a lot of issues. So mm-hmm. you had like wounded people coming in and taking on the, the lingo and the, the cause and feeling really powerful when they passed it on when really what they were passing on was was just a messed up control and they didn't have any control and they got some maybe when they joined the church and they passed it on to the young people. So it was a cycle and some personality, like I said, everyone, we had a similar experience, but everybody was their own personality and some of us were really crushed by that. Some people had power trips because of it. Some people maybe Mm -hmm. managed to hold their own and got in trouble a lot for that. But, um, yeah, women were really were really put down and really shamed, like, to the max.
0: Yeah, the- it, it sucks. I even hate using the word suck. But, like, for us, like, our role was to protect ev- – we were supposed to do everything in our power to woo you and protect you from all these, you know, ravenous men in the world – because you know we had to encourage the crap out of you so that you could fend off all of these suitors but then we're feeling that but then it's like if we if we were to quote unquote fall into the sin we could probably say it was what you were wearing or what you were doing and then it's all your fault
2: oh gosh I can't believe you're admitting that yes. That's what would happen. I'm just
0: I'm just trying to make sense of because that's kind of essentially what what we're what you're saying. And yeah. like we had it we had it hard in a sense. But in the in every situation we make out with. We make out with with all the things and it and it's I'm not going to get on a podium or make myself anything. I just I mean, that's just what it. really, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah.
2: You guys still were able to pass off blame onto us. mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Because you were a deep V and it's your fault because you were a deep V. I couldn't control myself. So my genitals took over and we're in an alleyway and we're doing cocaine off each other and (laughs) destroying each other. And it was all because of a deep V, you know, (laughs) Insert yes. whatever perverse sexual thing. It's all because you wore a deep V or you were Sophie's and I saw too much thigh, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. One time we were told to roll down our sleeves of our giant t-shirts mm-hmm. when we were rehearsing a dance routine and I'd never understood why, but we had to roll down our sleeves. Cause I was at our shoulders. Like I never got that. I was so mad. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was, it was bizarre. It let people get really bizarre and weird. And the mm-hmm. fact that that leaders would think it was okay to relay that concern to us instead of someone saying, whoever just said that, go deal with yourself. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to tell the girls that like mm-hmm. no one had the, nobody really stood up for those comments. And that was hard because you, you felt like you just had to follow and cover up more.
0: It just it, it it did you ever have to sit into in in um devotionals where they would like talk about used gum or like tape that lost its stickiness if you've like if you like have sex before marriage?
2: Oh my gosh, this is something I want to talk about with Atlanta that was another level. This yeah, I I remember
0: being. I remember being a Wait, teen can
2: worker. I, can I pause one more time? Yeah, it's fine. I'm sorry. I've had like four glasses of wine. I'll be right. Okay.
0: So you didn't you didn't cause I was a teen worker and I remember um doing these 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 devos and they would they would pass around tape. And you had to like stick the tape and then pull it, and the tape and pull it apart and stick the tape and pull it apart and stick the tape and pull it apart till it wasn't sticky anymore.
2: Oh, no, not the visuals, not the hands on. Yeah,
0: Or they they took a piece of bubble gum and they chewed it and then they oh, had God. to take it out and they would refer to that. But what what always is. It always made me uncomfortable. And
2: what, I struggle they, with was the tape. Stuff. Was the tape in the gum a girl or was the it tape
0: in the gum was supposed to mean your virginity. And I will say that it was always pointing to y'all <gasps> because of course the guys can lose their virginity, but uh-huh. it was never a sense that it was us. That was the used gum. It was never, it was, us. Never, yes. it was yeah, y'all. What I
2: mean.
0: Yeah. And the thing that. If there's things that keep me up at night, it were things that when I was a teen worker that I didn't say this was bullshit.
2: Mm-hmm. I and, do have regrets. I do have my own personal regrets when I upheld the system. I do.
0: But and 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 I, I want I I own that and I understand that I, you know, there's there's a thousand reasons why, and I'll never do that again. And I will do my best to voice that, but but no matter what, it always, maybe it just, it, no, it just always felt like, even though we were protecting y'all, it was kind of all on you guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I, it what kind of sucks. What's
2: crazy is they could simultaneously teach you guys to treat us like fragile little scared, you know that we were just getting like, help us. We can't survive the world, protect us. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then at the same time, you guys could tell a leader, it was like the witch. It was like the Salem witch trials. Mm -hmm. Like you could, you could just decide that you wanted, that you were struggling and then tattletale on one of us. And then we, that person would that girl would get rebuked for her outfit Yeah, and Mm -hmm. the power that, that, that you guys had, And I, I know some of the rebukes and some of the discipling we got about our specific outfits were because of some weird guy who probably was on a power trip or mad that a girl didn't like him. And then he knew that he could get her rebuked. And it was, it was so crazy how that was set up. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It was like, it was like (laughs) trials. And I think, yeah, the, the training that was happening, we didn't realize because we were young. Mm -hmm. It was creating a stigma about the opposite sex for sure. Yeah.
0: Now, and I will say that you got, you had your shame on your body. We had our shame at the fact that we, we just had, I mean, I had enough shame with regards to my own sort of what is sexuality. We have this thing here that Mm -hmm. we don't seem to can't control.
2: You guys were shame for your body functioning the way it's supposed to function.
0: Yeah. And and like the first time I ever, I ever did it was nothing but shame and Mm -hmm. guilt. And it was like, we're carrying that Mm -hmm. and we're all like, maybe this is what I'm saying about where we were just stirring this pot of trauma soup all this shame <laughs> we were all the just trauma
2: soup we were stirring it that's right everyone we had a weird it all sexual in. complex you were so we was con- sex was constantly being talked about mm-hmm. like the fact that i had all to listen that to we so talked many about. ministry kid friends dads say the word masturbation at the pulpit on sunday if i had to hear one more of my friends dads talk about masturbation i would like kill me it, you why never would, had to
0: sit in a group you never had to sit in a group with 14 dudes where they all shared every time they jerked off that week. So
2: also why we, we were given so much information that we did not want or ask for every communion sharing time. So communion at our church, wasn't just take the juice and the cracker and think about Jesus. It was somebody sharing their testimony in the most graphic way. I remember watching people, literally shaking because they didn't, they were so uncomfortable to be up there talking and speaking to strangers about their intimate sin. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And, and they were discipled to do it. So they were kind of forced to do it and they would tell us about all their sexual history. And I'm like, how is this relevant to a Sunday morning? I don't think they need to share this. And I don't really want to know this. I'm 12. My mom gave me a ride to church And now I'm hearing about this woman's traumatic sexual experience. I don't think she should be subjected to this shame right now. Like I remember feeling so angry for the people up there who had to share One of my good friends in the teen and campus ministry was like crying while she was sharing. And it wasn't because she was convicted of her sin, quote, sin. She was being a literal, normal person. It was because her family was in the audience and she was kind of forced to confess everything that she didn't really want to tell her parents. And I don't think you, she should have had to tell her parents that. And so, and she had to do it from a microphone on a stage. Like it was so messed up the level of um, conversation around sex, which no one had any privacy. It was so weird. It was like, nobody was allowed to have any privacy. And, and then when people would share private things, it was very shameful too. So it was such a Mm -hmm. contradiction and everybody had complexes. I'm sure the guys, especially it's like, you were shamed in your own ways and Mm -hmm. yet you had more power than we did. So you could, you could blame for your shame. Uh And so it was really messed up. And I wonder what how that plays out in life. I think a lot of us women had to find self-worth later and we might have gone through a roller coaster and a pretty hard road to get there. We have to find Mm -hmm. self-worth you know, and realize that our bodies are not bad. In fact, God said in the Bible, when he made humans, he literally, the first thing he said was, and it was good. They're good. That was Mm -hmm. like the first assessment he had of us knowing full well that he made us to have sex, that he made us to reproduce, he, there were going to be more of us. And he wasn't like, oh, gosh, he could have made us to not make any more if we weren't that good. But he, the first thing he said about making humans, if, if you believe the creation story, is mm-hmm. that he said we were good. We were inherently good. If you're made by God, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're good, because that's cool that God made you. So, but never was that lesson learned, let alone internalized. We had to go find that somewhere else.
0: yeah, we we needed we needed conversations about integrating all of this into our lives mm. in a way that is is healthy for us. Mm-hmm. and And I'll be honest, like I love the fact that I had to wear a shirt at the beach because I wasn't I didn't I wasn't super fit. So I was like, I mean, yeah, I'll put a shirt on. That's great. <laughs>
2: well, we were already um, going through the angst of, of puberty and we were all, but, we were yeah. all so insecure to begin I with. Mean, One time they had a teen event in L.A. They had a teen event at a water park. Oh God, Yet we weren't allowed to wear bathing suits in front of each other. So why would you choose the water slide park as an event? And I remember being just horrified. I didn't want to be in a bathing suit in front of these people in the first place, let alone a shirt and shorts, which you're not even allowed to wear down the slides. So like (laughs) it was so messed up. And why do we have to do this water park? I don't want to come here. I don't want to go. But
0: Here's the thing, though. Guess what? When you go to a water park. You're surrounded by people in bathing suits and guess what happens? I mean, for the most part, everybody's fine. I live at the beach, like I'm right across the street from the beach. I'm there, you know, a lot and we're surrounded by that. Guess what happens? I mean, I don't know. I go to the beach, I hang out, I hang out with other people in their bathing suits and stuff. I mean, I got tattoos on my, yeah, I got my, I got tattoos on my body to kind of help spruce it up, you know, but uh <laughs> but uh yeah, we're 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 generally fine and it's like no one gave us the benefit of the doubt. No one taught us that like no, you can like there is this thing inside you and it's a feeling and it's natural and it's what you, you know, it's mm-hmm. what's going to happen and this is, you know, you want to make it healthy, you know, you don't want to I don't think there's anything wrong with saying protecting like something, mm-hmm. right? But like, not at the cost of like your self-worth.
2: I think that if I had more self-worth, I would have protected myself more.
0: I probably would have too. I probably would have stood up when I should have.
2: Yeah. I would have probably made a lot of different choices and protected myself a lot more if I had self-worth. I think you make a lot of choices when you don't have self-worth, and eventually mm-hmm. I had to separate and take responsibility. Like you can't just live your whole life blaming the church for your decisions, but yeah. I think we had to, we had to catch up and learn how to make decisions though. And there was that gap time that I yeah. I mean, I take responsibility for it, but I also know that I was ill equipped in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so you, you did leave. Let's say yeah. to say, so yeah. what was that like? What was that like? Like, was it like you woke up one day? You're like, nope, this is it. I mean, I guess what I'm hearing is it was kind of like a gradual leaving. Is that safe?
2: I would say that when my family moved to Atlanta and my parents were fired again, and then the, the, the letter came out describing, putting into words the church, the, you know, system of the church and how messed up it was. And then, so we were finally allowed to have words and repeat the letter. At least we probably knew all this stuff. We just could never say it. Um, I started saying it, I started, I started realizing I agreed and had that voice as well. And then I was also, but it was like, it, I always described it as like a pendulum swinging. So Mm -hmm. I swung really extreme and was like, I'm leaving. I'm doing everything I want to do. You know, you're, you're reacting basically. Mm -hmm. But when I, but then there was so much shame and guilt. I remember moving to Georgia and what I, what I didn't really know at the time was I was like truly depressed. Like my family without the structure of the church, my parents were sad. Like they were the church was the glue that held a lot of families together that held a lot Mm -hmm. of relationships together. Seeing my parents kind of lost and restarting their life and not really knowing where they stood about church either. Like that was really rocking my world because you're, it's, you're very disillusioned. It's like your whole identity, your whole community is kind of falling apart before your eyes. And, the age college and your early twenties are a, a normal time to actually do, to actually try to identify yourself and decide yeah. what you want. But the way that it was mm-hmm. happening so devastatingly and dramatically was really hard. So it was a normal time frame for me to do that, but it was so like, I had like nothing, I had no skills, no like understanding of anything else outside of the church. And so I think I was, I, moved to Atlanta and went to church and was tied, tried to get tied in with everybody there. A lot of, a lot of it because I, some of the girls in my region were like kind of rebuking me. Like I'm going to make sure like almost like rebuking you to not be a fall away and leave and go to hell. Mm -hmm. And so I just was in Atlanta and um, you also don't know how to have, you don't have any friends. You don't know anybody outside of the church. So you're truly alone and you have to be brave enough to be absolutely alone and like start again. I did have a really good friend from from California who wasn't in the church who came out to visit me and really liked Atlanta too. And so we had some fun and it yeah. kind of introduced me to like more people outside. I don't know. I got a job at a restaurant and just started meeting more people. I think it just, I started to build more outside of it, which let me transition out, but I lived with church girls who half of them we were going through that together and half of them were horrified to live with me and i apologize (laughs) i apologize for putting them through that they thought they were signing up for a disciple roommate and like surprise nope aaron's not (laughs) sorry um sorry for all that anyway but um it was such an alternative time. If you consider the structure of the church, you had like people living with people kind of leaving, but a lot of people were leaving. A lot of people were Mm -hmm. considering. I could tell that it was easier for me to just leave because it wasn't my home church. If I was in California surrounded by the community, Mm -hmm. I could, I knew that I would probably stay longer it would be so hard and complicated, but because I moved geographically across the country, nobody knew me, nobody cared about me or what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I, and I, it, and that wasn't an insult that was like freedom, but I could tell that the girls I lived with who that was their home church, it was very complicated. It was their parents' reputation. It was the, it was everyone they've known their whole lives. And I, I don't blame them for it taking longer or for them trying stuff out and then showing up to church on Sunday because they weren't quite ready to cut it off right away. And I did have to realize that if I was in my home church, I probably there's so much like gossip and image involved in this system, you know? And I think I would have had a real, a harder time leaving if I was still there in my home church. Yeah. I could kind of disappear into Atlanta because I was a new girl. So it didn't really matter Mm -hmm. what I did. Um, and then, yeah. And so leaving, but leaving, I had a, and there were some other things that happened, which we talked about offline that Mm. close people losing people, some heartbreak. And, and so it was compounded. And I remember this one person who was an ex ICOC member who was super messed up and, um, a really messed up person, but even they kind of read me and were like, you are so angry. Why are you so angry? And I remember not even being offended, just being like checked, like, I don't know. And it was someone checked me and was like, you're a mm-hmm. really angry person. And I was for like a couple of mm-hmm. years after I left. I think I was just like a pendulum swinging and just reacting and raging against the system that I was, ra- that I was raised in. And then I had to kind of come to a balance. And I I guess I would go back to that person, that lost, angry person and say, like, it's not all or nothing. You don't have to know it all now. You don't have to rebel from all of it now. Like balance is something that I think comes with time and understanding, but it's such an important thing. Like it's not all or nothing. Our church taught one way or the other, and the most mm-hmm. powerful thing that we can learn is that to say i don't know in about faith or god is is actually the most freeing thing you can do i've never felt more secure in my relationship with god or my belief by saying i don't really know all the i don't know yeah and and that made me feel finally saved and at peace to just be whereas in the church i was constantly going to hell after being saved, it didn't make any sense. And I was constantly like worried about my salvation when I was told I was saved, but Mm -hmm. then you weren't treated like you were saved and you were convinced that you weren't saved all the time because of what you were doing. Whereas to really truly see your faith as a journey and it's not over till you die. Like you are on that journey till the last day of your life. And that's okay because we don't really know till it's over nobody really was there no one was really there that you can Mm -hmm. talk to and get a firsthand you know account like Mm -hmm. your your faith is powerful but it's faith which means you can't actually physically see it so you don't really know
0: yeah none of us do i love that you said that i really do because i always as i've left the church i like to Uh, I just feel like our life is this giant conversation that's ongoing.
2: It is never ending.
0: We're learning who we are as humans Mm -hmm. in such different ways. Every, I mean, think about where we are as like people now, how different it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then like, think about that, like 10 years from then. And Mm -hmm. so like for us to just say, this is how it is. And this is how it's always going to be is, is it's selling ourselves short. It's giving up. It's easy. It's, it's, it's toxic in the sense that it cuts us off at the knees. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and why should we argue about faith? Why should we argue about something that is essentially Mm -hmm. a subjective experience? Right. Why
2: should we try to control someone else's experience? Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. hard enough to deal with your own life. It's hard enough to deal with mm-hmm. your own heart and your own pain. Why would we try mm-hmm. to control someone else's? I it's That's not it, the, it's amazing the freedom to realize you're not responsible for that. You're not responsible for someone else's salvation. No, you do no. you, but, but if you are sharing your faith, quote, you're sharing oh, out of triggered. Oh, I know oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. you're Go sharing ahead. your faith. That means something different now to me. And I am actually okay with yeah. it because before that was the worst thing ever. If someone said you need to share your faith, I would die inside. And it meant asking, forcing someone to come to church with you. That's what mm. that meant. Come to yeah. church with me. Whereas now I'm like, if I have faith, I'm more I'm more confident now to share what I believe than I was back then because you were forced to. And I was so so embarrassed of what I was trying to put on my friends in school. But yeah. now it's like, if I have it, it's because I actually lived it and because I can back it up with my own belief. And no one else has to buy into that because they're living their own life. I think it's just, it's so wrong to think that our job is to is to guilt and control people. Because what's so crazy is that if, if the whole Bible led to Jesus and Jesus is it, he would literally say something and then walk away and let people do whatever they wanted to do with that. He mm-hmm. never controlled anybody. And yet our church decided that to be the most biblical, we had to be the most hardcore and controlling system ever. And it's- yeah. It's so not biblical. And the Bible is just one big journey and story. It's all encompassing. It's, and the people that were lifted up were like the weirdest, most messed up people ever. (laughs) I'll never forget being a little kid in church and then preaching about Abraham about ready to stab and kill and sacrifice his son, Isaac, Mm -hmm. because God told him to. And then God at the last minute said, stop, stop. I see that you have faith now. And then everybody would clap and be like, amen. That's right, brother. And say all this stuff. And I was like sitting there just like, I is—I don't want my parents to ever do that. <laughs> like terrified that like that would be their, their calling to faith. Like that's not a good story. And then the stories of the no. women in the Old Testament and they'd be preaching about it. And I'm like, I don't understand why this is being praised. This guy sucks. Like the biblical guys were really terrible sometimes and Mm -hmm. praised. And I'm like, I don't know. I I think that the biggest favor we can do ourselves, ourselves as ICOC kids is to, is to know that we're allowed to say, I don't know. We're allowed to say that. And we're allowed to just keep going. You're not Mm -hmm. done. You don't have to know it right now. You can know more. Mm -hmm. Every year you can know a little more, but you don't have to know it all. And you can say, I don't know. And I think I would say that as far as like a system that has been functioning for a long time that uplifts just a certain group of people, shame on us if any of us deny and argue any other systems that uphold certain group of people like we should be the last we we should be the first people to admit if there's a system in our culture that has held power and upholded just a certain group because that's just the way it is we've lived that Mm -hmm. and now and now we we are all like talking to our friends about I grew up in this crazy church and it was so awful and shame on us if we ever try to act Shocked and appalled, and deny that that's happening in any other way in our country. Because damn,
0: girl, say it.
2: (laughs) I mean, I just think we need to be real. Yeah, we do. If we saw it firsthand, we should not. We should be able to recognize it and admit that it's Mm -hmm. fully happening in other ways, and maybe support those people that are trying to Mm -hmm. have a voice. Because we, as Kingdom kids, were trying to have a voice at one time too.
0: Love it. <laughs> I do. I love that you're saying that, you know, it's like, oh,
2: because I mean, we know got- how
0: it fe- we know how it feels on some extent. We know how it feels, you know?
2: And I think like our church, our ICOC movement was universal around the world, mm-hmm. but your own hometown church was fully influenced by the region and the culture that, that it was in because I was a West coast girl moving to Atlanta and I saw the South and was like, Oh my God, are you guys okay? And I was hearing stories from these roommates and girls in the church in Atlanta talking about things that they were told that I knew were from the church, but they were very Southern, Mm -hmm. very Southern. Like, They had to deal with generations of women um, teaching them how to be good wives and submissive women. And they were literally being pointed out as you need to be imitate her and be like her. And this physically by like a beautiful Barbie girl that they were supposed to imitate. How? How was anyone going to imitate that? Also Mm -hmm. the race issue, like in this, you know, and I'm not saying California didn't have that that's everywhere, but yeah, in
0: the South, it was very, it's very much more defined. And a a lot of that has to do with, yeah, I will speak to that because a lot of it has to do with generational stuff that has been set that, um, you know, as far as like town lines and things like that and where people ended up living and stuff like that. But I will say that the church didn't help it or the church didn't, it It fell into,
2: it It didn't address it.
0: It, it just sort of, I saw it more when the letter came out and how people landed, Mm -hmm. you saw where people landed. And I was like, this is weird because you're, you're you're not doing what I you're doing, what everyone else would have done, but Mm -hmm. we're not supposed to be the people that do that.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, like we're supposed to be the place that's different. We're Mm -hmm. supposed to be the place that unites. We're supposed to be this place that is opposite of what, Mm -hmm. what the world is doing. Yeah. And that was hard. That was hard to see. Um because you 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 kind of get this I I had this cynical view of things
1: mm-hmm.
0: after that because I mean we're just going to end up doing whatever we want to and so we're no different
2: mm-hmm.
0: now that's that's been the hardest thing to let go of because there's mm-hmm. there's still there's a lot of it still going on you know so
2: that's what's crazy is to know the church as a whole kind of fell apart but mm-hmm. the individual churches, survived and some of them are still functioning in a very similar way under, Mm -hmm. under that, like stigmas and others are just kind of not, they're really changed or doing their own thing. So it's really like a hit or miss when you go Mm -hmm. to the different ones, but um, I don't know. I think we went from art, like thinking of ourselves as the biggest movement, so special. And now it's like all these individual churches, but then there are, there is, there's been two movements to other versions of our church since ours quote fell apart you know I -hmm. Kip is still going like he's still trying to do this thing and I think for me the stages of leaving the church were interesting it was like rebel run away angry super combative no one's Mm going to tell me you have to have that but it was a very false um Arrogance. It was a very false, like courage, because deep down I was, I had zero self esteem. Mm-hmm. I was, I had to basically run around in my mind, convinced I was going to the pits of hell and just had to, like, be okay with that. It was so yeah. devastating. I lost, I had to lose all my acceptance and good. You just, like, had to go out accepting that you were not good. You were all bad. Yeah. Um, And I think ever since I've been trying to probably prove to myself that I am good. Mm -hmm. That's deep. That's a deep one. Um, And then you go through phases. If you go to therapy, that really helps because then you get through some of the voices that tell you your self worth. And then you learn to realize that's someone else's voice. That's not you. Uh, Mm -hmm. The hardest I've ever cried was when a therapist asked me, well, what do you think of yourself? That's a simple, Mm -hmm. normal question. The level of nervous breakdown I had from her asking me that question, I literally scared my own therapist. Like she looked at me like, oh my goodness. Cause I was having such a nervous breakdown cause I couldn't answer that question. So that was very telling where I was at. at
0: at At least once a month, I have to have a very, specific talk with myself that I'm not a bad person mm. and not like, like it, it's a visceral experience. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be sitting somewhere in my house or or somewhere. And and, and I'm just like, no, you're not a bad person. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes I call it the void. Mm-hmm. The darkness comes in mm-hmm. and Sometimes it's like a five minute conversation and sometimes it's two hours yeah. and it takes all that I can to let go of that because that, I mean, if there's one thing that I learned from, from the church was, was that I'm a bad person.
2: Yep. Even after you did all the right things and were saved and mm-hmm. got baptized, you were ultra mm-hmm. extra bad. Yeah. And,
0: And I'm grateful that I've, I'm grateful for the work I've done, grateful for the therapy. I'm grateful for the friends. I'm grateful for all of that because, because really that's what gets you out of the victim mindset is, is, is doing the work yourself and and kind of taking ownership for, you know, your own happiness and your own stuff. Um, But uh, what do you think? Are we in a cult?
2: Oh, yes, honey, we were. (laughs) 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 yes it was i don't think it started out as one though i don't know i think it morphed into uh i think it morphed into it yeah i don't i think that maybe some of the personalities that started it were already Mm -hmm. on that track yeah but um i think it And even when it was at its height of money and control and the hugest it ever was, I think it was full of really genuine, good people with a lot of faith and a lot of heart. And and it didn't, it didn't destroy everything. It couldn't, we're, we're using, if you can use the skills that you'd never asked for the fact that I could speak on a stage in front of a thousand people, I never wanted that skill, What No. (laughs) <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I don't want anyone to look at me. The fact that yeah. I can get up there and speak on a microphone and then I can kill job interviews and then I can read someone's character in two seconds within meeting them. And then I can leave. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? I want to know what are the ICOC kids doing? What are your jobs? The ones that got told, where is your zeal that just wanted to be in the background? I'm dying to know what your career is now. What have you, what do you do for a living? Cause we were all rebuked in these ways, and like "What did you do with your life?" I'm dying to know what jobs we picked because I bet some people became. Us...
0: I bet some people became swimsuit designers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry,
2: I hope everyone's body was out for a couple of years because you know what? Just bre- let it breathe, honey. Let, let it breathe. Let your bodies breathe is all I have to say to the young ones still in there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think we. It was so, it was a cult. It, because it fits literally, if there's a check, there's a checklist actually of things that would make a cult. And I'm pretty sure we check every box. I don't think that the original group, they were, they were probably what our generation is, is wanting to be, wanting to rebel against a system that was hurting people. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know, but. Our parents, we don't have to be responsible for our parents' choices. They have to take responsibility. And I think they might only be able to meet us a certain distance. Because can you imagine like having to admit that you raised your kids in a cult? Oh, that geez. would be really painful. And I think sometimes if some of our parents don't want to admit that it was one, it's because that's, they were. Part of this, they were brainwashed too and that was mm-hmm. that was hard that would be really hard to admit
0: um oh god yeah i mean it's hard for me a part of me a part of my like trying to figure this out is letting all you guys talk i mean that's really what's because i'm trying to you know because it's hard like i could tell someone oh yeah i was in an oppressive church and they're like oh yeah I get that church can be, you know, then you say, I was in a cult. They're like, what? Yeah, You're broken. You're stupid. You're weak minded. There's a oh, thousand God, things. Good. they, The judgment that comes.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing is that I, I'm glad there's actually a lot more talk. There's a lot more dialogue around this now with all these podcasts out there that talk about cults that talk about abusive relationships, how it's not it does, a person who's a victim of these things is not. Um, unintell- she They're they're intelligent people. They're talented yeah. people. They're normal people. And so I always like to think about. Well, I don't like to think about this. this. Is actually the trauma that the church brings is that you could be in a room and no one's tying you down or locking the doors. We didn't have that. We didn't have those like commune weird, literally lock the doors and you know not let you leave. But a lot of us understand that you actually couldn't leave that room. If they weren't done rebuking you, you could not leave that room. You physically yeah. could leave the room if you wanted to, but you couldn't leave the room. And it I don't know if anyone can understand that if they're not in it. They they just like, well, why didn't you just leave churches? Like they people don't understand that you you couldn't. And that shows the level of control and the level of power that the system had because mm-hmm. we didn't have any ties on our wrists. We didn't have any locked doors but we couldn't leave though. So that says a lot about what was trained, you know, a lot about what, so that's why I say, yes, it's a cult, but it took me a while to actually say that. And I remember the day I actually said it and truly acknowledged it in my heart. And I had kind of a nervous breakdown and I'm, and I'll say it again, therapy, it was in therapy. I don't think some of my family and and some generations in the church could say that they don't like that. They get, they get defensive.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I, and I don't blame them. I understand. And I even find myself being defensive of the good parts, but you can also be in a, in a tough situation and still have good things out of it. Like, like I said, use it, use it for be powerful with it. All these skills, no one asked for go get that job, kill that interview, speak Mm -hmm. in front of your corporate meeting, like nothing when deep down, you never wanted to be a public speaker in the first place, but you had to speak at all the teen events. So now you can, like, (laughs) I think we should just use these skills for good and then take the power from it. And it's, it's, and maybe that was God. I don't think that. I mean, this is my own personal faith about it, but like it was really hard in some of my stages of leaving. I was really mad at God. Cause like, how could you let that go on for so long? How could you let people go through this? And then some the lawsuits coming out, like, how could some, how could some kids be that harmed in a situation where God was the basis of it? Like that's the, that's so damaging. How could that, but I, I think yeah. what I, I had to realize was like the world itself is broken. The The church falsely taught us that if you're a good disciple, nothing bad's going to happen to you. And that is absolutely wrong and a lie. Things happen because we live on this planet and we're yeah. humans that whether you're a Christian or not, st- my brother had cancer and that was not because of a sin. That was not because of his heart or how he was doing spiritually. He just had it. And whether we're a disciple or not, things are going to happen. And when, and that's okay, that's Mm -hmm. okay. That doesn't mean you did something wrong, but it's shame on a system that would, would teach us that God was punishing us or favoring us. That's so messed up because the world is the world and you're going to have to navigate it either way. And so faith, I think gives you hope to keep going you know it just helps you get through that one day or that one year mm-hmm. and that's and that's good you know sometimes we need something bigger than ourselves to get through that and as a child i really loved god and so i think deep down i have i believe that still but i have a really complicated relationship with church <laughs> and i i'm still yeah. kind of a deer in headlights about how to raise kids i don't really know what to do about church with them um mm-hmm. I'll figure it out, I guess. And then they'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We'll figure it out.
2: Well, we'll, you'll be okay. Everyone's, everyone's as, as much as you were told you were not okay. Like I, I think the real thing that we can learn is that it's a journey and Mm. you're okay. If you're still participating in the journey, don't give up. Like you're still participating in the journey and you're okay. You're going to make it. And if, Mm -hmm. you know, the heaven that we're thinking of, like, yeah, you're going to be there. It's okay. Except for maybe Barrett, but you know, that's okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, girl. (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, I will say it sounds like you're going to be okay too.
2: Oh, thank you. I hope so. I still don't really know. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but trust me, I don't always Um. know.
0: thank you i mean thank you for being open and honest uh for being vulnerable enough to share i know that this journey is tough and it's scary and it's 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 everything that it is and thank you for uh letting me like take this and put it out to the world um
2: thank you for yeah for letting me talk on here and hearing my story. I've really loved hearing everyone else's stories too. It's just pretty Mm -hmm. amazing that we can, we can already know each other without knowing each other, because this is something that's Mm -hmm. pretty weird and niche, but also Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other things like this. So it's okay. We're not, we're not that weird, Mm
0: -hmm. but we are (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, this was amazing. This was awesome. Thank you. Um, If you guys were a member of the ICOC or the ICC or whatever the other one is and would like to share your story, I'd love to have you on. Come find me on Instagram at the Balanced Mail Podcast. You can email me at balancedmailpcast at gmail.com. And until next time, guys, we'll see you.